from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Hey, buddy. I wrote this song. It is simple, but the tune is strong. Pretty soon you will sing along. If you don't like it, then you are wrong. What do you think? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. I just had to uh, put that in as a little response to the community. All right. How is everybody? Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast, episode 35. Whoever thought we'd get here three years in? Woo-hoo. Very exciting. Woo-hoo. Joined yeah. by, uh, of course, I am John Linville. Uh, joined by uh, our our normal cadre of hosts, um, Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello. <laughs> Boise Pete. How you doing, Boise? I'm doing wonderful. Or I'm sorry, I saw a Louisiana translation kind of a joke said that uh, everything in Louisiana I'm supposed to just say, Boise, you good? <laughs> you good? Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, and of course, we have a kind of a special guest host uh, or guest with us this time. Um, the uh, subject of an interview a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, Mr. Mark Marlette. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well, there, John. Thank you guys for having me. It's very great good, to have you very here. Very good. I'm sure you'll be uh, a great addition this month. All right. Well, Coco Fest is uh, is this month. Very exciting. Everyone excited for Coco Fest. I'm sure. Anyone oh, yeah. not going? <laughs> I haven't committed oh, very yet. Very exciting. In a couple, <laughs> in another week, week or two, we'll be on the road to Lombard. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, of course, Tandy Assembly is still roughly seven months away. It was seven months away last uh, <laughs> last month. Um, had a little <laughs> scheduling problem there. I've had to, to delay uh, the schedule on uh, Tandy Assembly um, into the first week of November. We'll, we'll start covering Tandy Assembly, Tandy Assembly more after Gogo Fest. So don't worry. All right, what about uh, recent projects? Everybody's probably working on something for Coco Fest. Uh, Neil, you doing something for Coco Fest? I am. I've been busy making uh, cartridges uh, with those nice super pack <laughs> cases. Got yeah. A, a run of uh, Bond Threat, the uh, the new updated version, and also Flooded. Cool. Yeah, I heard you had to work with uh, uh, with Rick some uh, through the magic of a Coco Flash. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we get some revisions yeah. on the uh, on uh, bomb threat to to work properly with the Coco VGA, was it? Yep, it was with the Coco VGA, but we got it all figured out, so it's uh, it's working well. Nice. And uh, how about you, Mike? You uh, doing working on something? Oh, I've been uh, way too busy. My projects have been kind of on hold, but uh, I'm hoping for maybe yeah. Tandy Tandy Assembly or there's Coco Fest next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, real life catches up with us sometimes. Um, I hate it when it catches up with us at this time of year, but it happens. Uh, Boise, you, you working on anything special? I'm just getting ready for Cocoa Fest. I've got uh, the call for papers <laughs> thing and uh, 
going to be bringing a few things to sell on the table. I cleaned out one of my several cocoa closets and have some spare things that I'm going to take with me to try to get rid of. Uh, cool. That sounds awesome. Mark, I know you're uh, working on uh, some stuff for Cocoa Fest, but uh, anything you want to mention before the big talk? or? Uh... Oh, no, not necessarily. I mean, I have plenty of projects going. <laughs> Lots of no them. Doubt. Too many. <laughs> we yeah. all have that problem, yeah. More projects than time. Anybody watching Facebook has an idea of what I've been working on lately. <laughs> For those that don't uh, monitor the Book of Faces, I'm uh, finishing up on a revision of Farfall, because you know, that's the only thing I know how to do is Farfall currently. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make use of the Game Master cartridge, uh, the musical capabilities there. Added a couple other embellishments. Um, so a new version of Farfall if you don't already have one, or maybe if you do and you just really love the game. <laughs> That'll be me. Somebody that's, asked. Um, that's some cool stuff you added. I like it. Somebody asked elsewhere if uh, if I was offering a discount to any previous purchasers, and um, uh, no, sorry, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with this version, uh, this is you know more than just a simple update too. So it's uh, definitely worthy of a new. Uh, you know, no deal on that one. <laughs> I think it'll be pretty cool. Um, so anyway, eBay, uh, eBay's been quiet for me lately too, pretty much for the same reason. How about any of you guys? Any big pickups lately? Nothing. Nothing. I ordered a few of those yeah. uh, video adapters that you talked about last month for the color computer oh, yeah. one. So I'm uh, going to heat up soldering iron tonight probably and put one of those in. I had a almost oh, yeah. an exciting time when I went on eBay the other day. My heart jumped. I saw a 26-3136, but it wasn't a B. So, ah, close. Oh, wow. Close, but no cigar. Oh. <laughs> and you must have got excited there. That's a tough one to find, for sure. Hey, wait oh, a second. Lord. Yeah, I, I just thought of something. I, I did get something on eBay. I got a Tandy VGA monitor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shipped it down to Myros. So, technically, it, it is cocoa because I can use the Super yeah. Spectro with it. I forgot that I did pick up a uh, book, uh, Learning Logo on the TRS-80 Color Computer by Tony Adams, Pauline Adams, and Ann McDougall. <laughs> so uh, so when I find time to settle in with the logo uh, on the Cocoa again, um, I've got a book to read. <laughs> Very cool. exciting stuff. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Now that we're warmed up, why don't we take a little break and uh, we'll be back with some announcements. What's going on, Coco Cruisers? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I'm the host of Coco Talk. What is Coco Talk, you ask? Well, we are a weekly live talk show on YouTube featuring the Tandy Color Computer. And guess what? Coco Talk is now also available as an audio podcast for your listening pleasure. So when you are done listening to the Coco Crew podcast, come check us out at CocoTalk.live for weekly live talk featuring the Tandy Color Computer. We'll see you there, Coco Cruisers. Coco, I've decided to make you number one. I have no choice. This is Coco. My nutty crumpet. My little piece Come on, number one. Let's go home. All right, now we're back with some announcements. We are the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter as at Coco Crew Podcast. That's C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you like to tweet, feel free to tweet at us, and we might tweet back. You never know. Also available on Facebook, we have a Facebook page called um, The Coco Crew Podcast. That's four separate words. Feel free to, to reach out to us there. Tell us how great we are or how much you don't like us or, you know, whatever you got. 
<laughs> you know, any kind of feedback is welcome. We are, of course, available on iTunes and on Google Play for normal podcast downloading. And we're also available through Stitcher and uh, TuneIn for, for uh, streaming. So however you'd like to consume us. So, and, of course, you, know, you can just go straight to the CocoCrew.org webpage. Uh, we have an RSS feed there as well. We are a member of the Throwback Network. Uh, this is a collection of retro-themed uh, podcasts, many of which deal with the gaming and technology, some of which deal with 80s culture and old sitcoms and whatever else. So, you know, if you're that, in that kind of mindset and looking for another podcast, then feel free to check out the Throwback Network. We are listed on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This is another collection of, of similarly themed uh, podcasts. So these deal uh, exclusively with gaming systems and old computers. And of course, audio for the Coco Crew Podcast is hosted on CyberEars. If you're in need of hosting audio uh, on the internet for your podcast or your church or whatever, uh, then we recommend you check out Cyber Ears, where you will get your audio on your terms. If you'd like to reach out and uh, talk to uh, the members of the Cocoa Crew podcast, we have some email addresses set up. Uh, these three will reach all of the normal hosts. Uh, that's a show at CocoaCrew.org, podcast at CocoaCrew.org, and feedback at CocoaCrew.org. Or if you want to deal with uh, just one of us in particular for some reason, then um, I can be reached as John, J-O-H-N, at CocoCrew.org. Neil is available as Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org. Mike, M-I-K-E, CocoCrew.org. And, of course, Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at CocoCrew.org. I think Boise's got the name that is most commonly misspelled of all of us. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I'm Neil. Cursed. People probably do the N-E-A sometimes. Um, Mark is not yet available. We'll see if he keeps coming back. <laughs> All right. Moving on to some announcements, uh, event announcements. The first event is a, is an internet event that uh, happens in cyberspace, um, but it's happening this, uh, the month of April. Uh, if you're not already entered, it's not too late. Send me an email with your entry. Uh, anyway, the event I'm referring to is Retro Challenge. Retro Challenge is um, a collection of geeks around the internet that uh, do something with uh, an old computer for a month and write a blog about it. <laughs> and so um, come in and do your thing. Tell us about your progress. And uh, remember, the only uh, losing move is not to play. But we still have the um, listing here for the call for papers for the 27th annual Last Chicago Coca Fest. Boise, how's that going? Well, we finally have a paper, so <laughs> well, <there laughs> we just go. have one at this point. I plan on introducing one myself, so we'll have two. But uh, Brendan Donahue submitted one, an excellent paper, on adding sprite capabilities to the Coco VGA, a very detailed, and uh, I think people will enjoy it. It's one of those papers that you probably have to read it two or three times to comprehend it. But that's good. That's what a technical paper should do. It should be something that leaves you wanting to go back and, and digest it more, and that's exactly what Brendan did. So, Yeah, Brendan's a pretty smart guy. Cool that it's about Coco VGA. I don't think he you know, gets quite the credit he deserves on the Coco VGA project there, uh, but uh, he is a serious part of the project for sure. All right, well, moving on. We've got some uh, live events that uh, our listeners may be interested in. The one that all of our listeners should be interested in 
coming up again in, just in a couple of weeks, the 27th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. And remember, they call it the last because they're never sure if there's going to be another one. <laughs> this will be held uh, April 21st and 22nd of 2018 in the lovely town of Lombard, Illinois. Everyone excited to go to the Cocoa Fest? Absolutely. Definitely. And, and by the time our listeners hear this, it'll be days away. Days away, yeah. They it might is be the most wonderful maybe, time uh, of the year. <laughs> Coco right. New Year. We may be riding along with you. That's yes. right. Looking Take us for your travel. Very awesome. Looking very much forward to it. It's always a good time. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Hopefully we don't cause anyone indigestion as they uh, grab a soda and a, and, a, and a burger and drive down the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, for those who are unable to get to Cocoa Fest, um, but still have the weekend free, there is also the VCF Southeast event uh, on the same weekend, April 21st and 22nd, 2018, being held in uh, Roswell, Georgia. The new location this year, uh, it's a new computer museum. Well, it's an old computer museum, but it's a new one. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry that they, they've managed to to schedule it at the time that us Cocoa folks uh, just can't make it. I, I really wish it would have done that because I wanted to go, and in fact, I'll be flying through Atlanta to get to Cocoa Fest, so I'll be there okay. just before and just after. <laughs> Very cool. Oh, well. Well, and, you know, for those who can't make it to Atlanta and can't make it to Cocoa Fest that same weekend, if you're still looking for something to do, April 21st and 22nd, there is the Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Expo. So if you're in the, the Three Rivers area, that's Pittsburgh, right? Um, yeah. Then you may want to check out the Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Expo. Unfortunately, I will not be able to make uh, that event. <laughs> yeah, that was not too bad all right. for me either. It's too bad that these are all on the same weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm very close to it as well. Hmm. Well, what none of us are close to, but I would really like to go to, is the uh, the fourth... Um, in Contro Club or Color Rio <laughs> on yeah. April 28th, 2018. I think that'd be a cool event to go to. Of course, that's in uh, Brazil. Ooh, you, know, you said that nicely. It <laughs> might be hard to tear yourself away from the beaches to go to the uh, the retro computing event, but um, <clears throat> it's a cool yeah. bunch of guys. I'm sure it'd be fun to hang out. No we'll doubt, work. JL. If we could all show up in our Speedos, it would just be killer, right? <laughs> that would be awesome. I need something to wear on the rest of me to indicate that, yes, I am, in fact, wearing a Speedo. You don't have to think that I'm naked. <laughs> That's a good one. Maybe some sort of flag or something. <laughs> All right, well, moving along to, to, to the one that rescheduled to a date that's actually more convenient for us, the so VCF East 2018, and that's in uh, Wall, New Jersey. That'll be May 18th to 20th, 2018. Fortunately, I don't think any of us are going to make it. I do hope they I'm keep not. that schedule, though, <laughs> in future years. Uh, that would be a lot better for me. Anyway, best of luck there. Coming in June, uh, June 2nd, 2018, Corgscon, uh, the Columbus, Ohio Retro Gaming Society. This is almost competition for Tandy Assembly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably a good thing they schedule a different part of the year, huh? Looks like a cool event. Some old game stuff, retro computers, whatever. Yeah, it looks like a cool event if you're in that um, 
what is it, southern central Ohio? Is that what you would call it? Whatever that part of Ohio is called, if you're there, you may want to check it out. Yeah, I'm planning to go to that, so I'll check it out and let oh, you know yeah. what it's like. Yeah. We're sending a correspondent. All right, the last item on our list for now, Kansas Fest 2018. That'll be July 16th through 22nd, 2018. This, of course, is the um, Apple II summer camp for adults. <laughs> Held at uh, Rockhurst University in City, Missouri. Pretty good event, uh, lots of good technical content. and. Uh, even though they're Apple II folks, they're pretty nice, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> so uh, it's a good event. I recommend it if you're into the notion of going to a, a, a retro geek summer camp. This is the one to go to. All right. Well, I think that covers us for our our announcements. Why don't we take another little break, and then we'll, we'll be back with our news. The Call of the Heron. To the Iroquois, seeing a heron before the hunt was an omen of good luck. In Egypt, the heron is honored as the creator of light, as a symbol of prosperity. In China, the heron represents strength, purity, patience, and long life. To the Cocoa Fest attendee, the heron is the statue at Heron Point Conference Center in Lombard, Illinois, where Cocoa Fest is held. Be a part of a Cocoa Fest tradition. Be sure to touch the heron at Cocoa Fest in Lombard, Illinois. And now we're back with some news. Our first item, uh, this is uh, near one that's near and dear to our guest, Mr. Marlette. Um, and it's a bit of a leftover. Uh, I think we kind of missed it uh, last month. Mark, since you're here, you were looking for some information on a, kind of an unusual machine, the uh, Frank Hogg Labs Kix 030. So Mark, yeah. Mark, why you tell us what you're looking yeah. for? Yeah, you know, I picked up this machine, geez, a year ago or so from Brian Goers from uh, Glenside. He indicated that um, it was non-functional and that I'd have to get it running. Of course, I jumped at the opportunity. Having a little background in electronics, um, it sat for quite a while under my desk here. I got it out here about a month, month and a half ago just to see what it did do and didn't do. And, of course, per his description, it did not boot. The video is showing raster. You know, I started looking for some documentation online and it just is not there. So if anybody has any information, scan it, whatever, um, I would really, really appreciate it because it's an awesome machine. would be cool to see that uh, running again. Is this sort of in the same category as the, the MM1? This one is a powerhouse. I mean, it. we had a guy that had it in our computer club in Minneapolis here, and I remember going and seeing the machine and just drooling. The thing was wickedly fast. It's amazing. Does that does that have a sixty or thirty in it? Correct. Oh yeah, that's why. I mean the the so John yeah the uh, the Kix thirty was an MM one contemporary at the time. In fact, I think they were in competition with each other, right? I think Frank had made that as a direct competitor to the MM one, but the MM one had a um, a sixty or seventy, which was a Signetics clone of the sixty eight thousand and the fact that the Kix thirty had a sixty to thirty would have probably blown it out of the water in terms of performance. 
I never saw it hesitate or even sweat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that would have been a pretty impressive machine, assuming you can have uh, you have software to make it do something. That uh, that might be the challenge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's a cool machine. There were several in that kind of era that kind of to fill that same gap or whatever. Sort of a shame, you know. They don't, I mean, we talk about. I mean, I don't know how many there were for this one, but when you have a run of a hundred machines or, or a thousand even, you know, it's just not big enough to make much of a dent in history. You know, so like you say, try to Google for for the documentation and you'd be lucky to even find a reference to some of these. <laughs> so Mark, you said you have some so. software for this? Yeah, there's a SCSI hard drive in it. There's a box of diskettes. It's got the original microware box. Mm-hmm. which is cool, has all the awesome. logo stuff on it. It appears the hard drive is booting, but it's it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. Um, I've since unplugged it so that save on the power cycles until I can get an image made of that as well. I was in contact. I mean, I did reach out to um, Frank Hogg. I got no response. Thus, the call for help here. Yeah. Yeah, he is on Facebook, but I don't particularly know him very well either. So I don't, uh, I don't know what resources he might have. Yeah, he friended me right away um, on Facebook, and I put out, you know, some information, and I never got a response back. So, was Frank Hogg the creator of this machine? Yeah, he was the one that marketed it. Now, you know how much in the design aspect. I believe Mike Sweet had something to do with the. It's probably. I think, believe it's his video card. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I really, really want to get it going. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that would definitely be cool. Well, uh, good luck. I hope uh, someone in the audience is able to help. Um, hopefully, our audience uh, covers the right uh, list of people at least. <laughs> and uh, if any of our listeners can know how to help, Mark. Please write in to one of the feedback addresses or or to any one of the hosts directly, and we'll certainly get you connected. Uh, So moving on, the next link is um, from Aaron Wolf. It's a YouTube video that came up. It's an older video, but the discussion came up about what DriveWire can do or not, and you know all the software that exists to take advantage of it is really for OS 9, but not everybody even knows what that is. So he has a, a video that he pointed out that he had done years ago that, that shows some of the capabilities like the serial ports and um, using MIDI. So if you're curious about what DriveWire can do aside from disk emulation uh, with the, the DriveWire, you know, this is the Java server, DriveWire 4, you may want well to check out the video, see if it helps you out. Yeah, what was most relevant to our recent discussion was it has an example of connecting out to a BBS with Telnet. Right, the Internet connection, uh, emulated serial port with an Internet connection. So uh, if you haven't seen that, check it out. All right, moving on. Uh, Next link uh, comes through Facebook. uh, It's from Ed Snyder. He says, I'd like to know what people think of this for a case design. Maybe there's a couple of people out there that have been looking at replacement case designs for Cocos. And so he's got something, he's got a sketch, uh, looks more or less like a Coco, not exactly. And it kind of sparked a discussion and there were some other alternatives. And I guess I'll just leave the question as Ed said is, what do you think of this case design? I think it would be great to have. I just know that given the plastic injected molding experience that we had, 
not going to get into pricing, but as you guys know, it was not a cheap endeavor, and that was for a small cartridge case. I could only imagine what the cost might be for the tooling to make the mold for something like that. It just has to be quite an investment. Definitely a significant amount of money. Plus, like so many times when somebody posts uh, an idea for something like this, you, you see the the amount of comments and, um, you know, bike shedding or whatever, where people kind of demand extra stuff <laughs> or whatever, and it adds to the project. And it's kind of hard to suit everybody. I mean, I, th- I think ultimately he was talking about producing a case that could mount up a cocoa motherboard. I'm not sure even all the cocoa motherboards mount up the same way between the cocoa 2 and the cocoa 3. But then he's also throwing in maybe be able to mount up a a Raspberry Pi or an FPGA board or something. Mm -hmm. All those options, I would think, would be hard even just to account for, much less to produce something that could get there. I don't know. To be honest, I'm not sure I understand the desire because all of my Cocos pretty much have cases. Um, sure, some of them are a little yellow, more yellow than others. Uh, that bothers some people a lot. It doesn't bother me very much, so maybe I'm the weird one. <laughs> Mike, you got any thoughts? If you could pull it off and it's uh, cost-effective, that would be great. Maybe it will be uh, a little bit larger. Or you can house some more stuff in it. So it's kind of a cool concept. We'll just have to wait and, and see. I, I wish him luck. I wish uh, wish him luck in producing it. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what he comes up with. Mark, any comments? You know, maybe, just maybe. He's not telling us something, and he actually does have something to put in there. (laughs) I would generally approach it with having a motherboard first and then design the case around that. But there's, you know, 10,000 different ways to skin a cat or program, you know, so everybody designs differently. So I I don't know. I guess I have to wait and see. Definitely true. All right, moving on. This is from Tormod Volden. There's first batches of the Moo, I guess that's how you pronounce it, M-O-O-H. These physics guys, they like uh, the acronyms that nobody knows how to pronounce, right? (laughs) It sounds elite. Yeah, first batches of the Moo board will soon be shipped out to those who pre-ordered. So what is the Moo board? Well, it's um, a cartridge that incorporates 512K of memory. And an MMU similar to the one in the Coco 3, and it adds on an SPI interface and an SD card slot and a ROM socket, you know, just in case. <laughs> but I guess the notion is to, to give a 512K memory platform on a Coco 1 or 2 or a Dragon for running Nitrous 9 Level 2 or Fusix or Fusix or Fuzix or however you want to say it. What do you think? Boise, I guess you're our expert on alternate operating systems. I'm supposed to be getting one of these at the Fest, and uh, I think it's a pretty cool idea in that you don't have to open up your Cocoa case to expand it with this extra memory. It's kind of doing, I think, what uh, Jim Brain's Cocoa Mem Jr. is doing, and I like Jim's design too, but this one just seems very, very interesting in that you just plug it in and it, I'm assuming it takes over the bus somehow, does some intercepting uh, bus signals to give the extra RAM. It's pretty cool. Very cool. Very nifty. It's cool to see people working on uh, other operating systems, too. You know, so adding the memory plus the physics and enabling um, the, the Cocoa 1 and 2. I always I have the soft spot in my heart for the 1 and 2s. Uh, <laughs> I think the Cocoa 3 gets uh, an inordinate amount of attention. <laughs> so... Uh, it's good to see that all combined. 
maybe Brett will have one running uh, on a Coco too. That'd be cool. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be great to see that at the fest. Well, moving on. Somehow we've made it this far into the news segment without a Jim Gary video. So we're going to correct this this travesty of justice. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Gary has a a video, uh, Dig Dug with Instructions. This, of course, uh, is a an MC10 game, certainly is a, a semi-graphics mode game. Uh, and I'm kind of impressed by how much it actually sort of looks like Dig Dug. <laughs> I was um, thinking the same thing, and I like the, the color scheme. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks fantastic. Very cool. It amazes me how much Jim is able to get done on that platform or with the semi-graphics and stuff in, in general. So this one looks kind of extra cool to me. You've convinced um, me, Jim. I'm going to get an MC-10. Well, everybody should get an MC-10. You know, I think the MC-10 is kind of a cool little machine. Takes a lot of guff from elsewhere in the uh, the Coco Media world. Whatever history people claim, uh, I don't think the MC-10 deserves the, the hatred that it receives. But, yeah, I think it's a cool machine. I definitely think Jim Gary is a cool dude for keeping it alive. So, very awesome. Okay, the next link. An article written by Eddie Robertson at The Verge. The title of the article, The Last Scan, and the Inside the Desperate Fight to Keep Old TVs Alive. Kind of lengthy article. Even got biz in there about mechanical television, which is sort of my great guilty hobby interest or whatever. Not not enough to actually own one, but I would. If I, if, <laughs> if I, if I came across a mechanical television, um, I would I would have it if I possibly could. So there you go. There's my secret. Uh, anyway, it's not all about mechanical television. It's about old TVs in general, all the way down to like saving them for for arcade machines and that sort of stuff. I know we have some CRT lovers in the group here. I'm probably at least partially one of them. Um, hopefully, you'll find this interesting. That that was a fantastic article. The pictures. Just the pictures themselves were just great. The interspersing of the pictures and the text. In fact, there's a picture of an old gentleman sitting in a chair next to a huge black Sony television. I think that's a a PVM25. I think that was the oh, model yeah. number. I had one of those uh, from Microware back when I worked at Microware, and that thing was it was excellent. It had a huge escort escort uh, connector and an RGB analog connector, and you could hook that thing up to a Coco 3 and get an astounding picture. It was amazing. I'll bet. Of course, it weighed 2,000 pounds. Exactly. (laughs) I hauled that thing all the way from Des Moines, Iowa, back to Louisiana, and believe me, that was a bear. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I love those big tubes, too. They were so heavy, you didn't have to worry about people stealing them. Yeah. That's true. Very cool. It's a technology that is essentially dead, or maybe not quite dead, but you know, they're not making them anymore, quite literally. Yeah. So learning how TVs work actually is kind of central. If you actually want to write high-performance code for a game on a, on a retro computer, you really do need to understand at least the basics of how TVs work. So uh, old, you know, old signals or whatever, uh, analog televisions. Anyway, check it out. I think you might enjoy it. I did. Ever do any TV work, Mark? My dad, um, growing up, he was um, into television repair. I got shocked a few times. And yeah. You've never been shocked until you've been shocked by an old TV. 
Ask me how I know. <laughs> it definitely wakes you up. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was part of that. That's why I went digital for my major. But uh, I've I spent a few time in them. I know them. Um, I know how they work. I can still fix them. And, of course, I'm just um, really cautious. And, of course, I know what to touch and what not to touch now. Yeah, yeah. You know, always do the thing where you... You you take your one hand and grab your shirt and then poke around with the other hand. <laughs> that way, if you do, uh, <laughs> you know, cross it, you, you don't get a current going through your heart. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, um, poke around with an insulated tool, you know, kind of yeah. move the wires around and get things opened up so that you could actually, you know, probe it because it wasn't always easy to get access to. And if you did, get the board pulled out while you were working on them. Some pretty hazardous voltages were present so yeah. what you're saying is i shouldn't have i shouldn't go in there with the screwdriver right and start touching things um <laughs> they used to sell little plastic <laughs> screwdrivers for that <laughs> yeah boise's best i think he's referring to an instance where he <laughs> yeah. used a screwdriver one time and he shorted across uh five volts and ground and uh wasn't yeah. careful enough yeah yeah um, he, he shouldn't be doing that <laughs> well. Yeah, I think I have uh, screwdrivers I've poked around on TVs with and, and melted the end of the screwdriver. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, tough stuff there. I was just going to add, I mean, I can relate to that. My dad, he was uh, a number one electrician for Carnation Nestle um, for 43 years. Uh-huh. He'd come home with number two screwdrivers where he'd drop them in a power panel and they'd shoot them across the room, literally vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it'd be Lord. like um digital i am going digital <laughs> don't try this at home kids yeah exactly yeah. oh well all right well let's move along next link comes from um i know i'm gonna mess this up but um baz uh Yelopsos or Yelopsos. As Gilopsos, uh, aka Beta Gamma Computing. Now, so this is uh, Baz. I think is mostly a Dragon guy. He's over in Europe. This is the the same guy who did those um, conversions of dragons, where he basically makes a switchable where it can you can flip a switch and turn a dragon into a Coco. And uh, and he does some other hardware stuff. He's kind of like a Mark Marlet <laughs> for the Dragon World. Says we're proud to announce that we will be supplying. The Amazing Dragon MMC Expansion Board. The Dragon MMC, designed by Phil Harvey Smith, which is another, almost like a Mark Marlette for the Dragon World, so maybe I need to pick someone. So one of these guys has to be Ed Snyder, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> the Dragon MMC is kind of roughly similar to a Coco SDC in terms of it It takes a an SD card, or probably is an SD card, even though it says MMC, but... Anyway, plugs in and gives you access to some storage or whatever on the Dragon. Kind of a cool card. I've got one. It has some some neat features. I think um, some special features related to loading uh, cassette files because cassettes were so much more popular in the, the Dragon world, I think. Anyway, looks like a cool project or a cool uh, product, I should say. If you're looking for one, then you need to reach out to uh, Beta Gamma Computing. You can find that link through the show notes. Any interest, Neil? Uh, no, actually, I picked one up uh, when you did. 
haven't yeah. really done much with it. I put it into a nice case, and that's as far as I got. So I, I got to get back into that. So you just purchased a TRS-80 Model 1 on the Internet? Yeah, it's going to be great. It was my very first computer. So did you get a tape player and cassette cable? No. How about an expansion interface so you can have more RAM and disk drives? No. How about actual five and a quarter inch floppy drives? No. You're not going to be able to do much with your TRS-80 Model 1. No, I guess I have a lot more purchases to make on the Internet. It's probably going to take a lot more time and money to gather all of those other components, especially when you can't be sure they'll even work until you receive them. Yeah. Don't worry. For about the same price as all of those items, you can purchase just a Model 1 system expander from Bartlett Labs. Yeah? The M1 SE allows you to boot directly in LDOS and access hard drive images stored on compact flash. Wow! It also adds extras like an SVGA port, Ethernet, real-time clock, and joystick port. You can even move software directly from your PC to your TRS-80. You'll be enjoying the entire catalog of TRS-80 software in a flash. Where can I get one? Just go to BartlettLabs.com for details and pricing. Thanks. Bartlett Labs, making your TRS-80 what it was meant to be. Does your Coco 3 run hot? Are you using an older model 512K RAM upgrade? Or maybe you have a 128K Coco 3 that could use more memory. The Triad 512K memory board from Cloud9 is the solution you're looking for. Named for its unique triangular shape, the Triad only draws about 22 milliamps of current. That's an amazing 95% reduction in power. Less power means less heat and less stress on your Color Computer 3. The Triad 512K memory upgrade has been in production since 2013 with more than 500 units sold. So whether you need to upgrade to 512K or want to replace an older power-hungry memory board, the Cloud9 Triad is the proven reliable 512K solution. Often copied, never duplicated. The Triad 512K upgrade from Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. All right, moving on to the next link. It comes from Lee Patterson. I haven't heard a lot out from from Lee in a while. Uh, he was the bouncy ball game guy, or is. <laughs> anyway, he's got, uh, it's actually several blog posts here, but the link is to the first one, I guess, titled Robot Minefield. Robot Minefield is a basic game I typed in from Tim Hartnell's Giant Book of Computer Games book. He's kind of got a little bit of an odyssey going on here, where he's got the, a version of it written in basic, and then he's done... I guess he did a port to C first, and then maybe a port to an to assembly language. I think he's probably uh, using CMOC for his C compiler. I don't know. It's it's basically a little project blog. Uh, a lot of people enjoy reading those sorts of things. So here's one for your reading list. Go and check it out. Did you check it out there, uh, Mike? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, reminds me of a series of uh, shell programming books. Uh, I think they call them Rosetta where you kind of have like three different versions together, like Perl and corn shell, seashell, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. So uh, very, very handy if you're fluent in one language and not the other. So good way to learn. Yeah, that is a good way to learn to kind of look at the same program in different languages if you're, if you're just trying to pick something up. Cool. So, so it looks like a good comparison. Maybe we'll end up with a, a new project out of that from Lee, and that'd be cool. All right. Uh, okay, so you know Jim wasn't going to stay out of the list long, so he's back with a, <laughs> another entry here. <laughs> this is really a blog post, back to what I referred to Retro Challenge earlier. Uh, so Retro Challenge 2018-04, new game for CocoFest. I love this one. <laughs> he's working on an idea for a new game for CocoFest, and here's a screenshot, which looks kind of cool. It's like a 3D view, like almost like a, almost like Dungeons & Daggerath or something like that, where you're looking down the hall. 
and then on the other on one side, and then on the other side is like a, a map view of the maze. That's kind of neat. Anyway, he says the premise I'm working on is the following. You are at the Heron Point Convention Center. It's Cocoa Fest. The convention has been taken over by retrobrite needing cocos. <laughs> you must go around the convention center swapping out 10 yellowing cocos for 10 shiny new MC10s. <laughs> so it's kind of funny taking a little shot of the cocoa uh, like with the, in, in defense of the MC10. It says, however, you are being chased by the bee. The bee is filled with righteous indignation at the MC10 for ruining the chances of the deluxe cocoa. He will stop you at all costs. <laughs> so I think it's pretty funny taking a little shot at the bee, whoever that might be. Very funny, uh, good humor. Um, looking forward to seeing the game progress as uh, Retro Challenge progresses. We're about a week into Retro Challenge as it stands. That's promising. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one definitely has my attention, so uh, you know how to play the judge there. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, got a great sense of humor. I like that dig for the MC-10. Okay, so the next one, this is kind of a weird link. I'm not sure even where I stumbled across it. It's basically to an old article, the, the original article by uh, Stephen K. Roberts uh, in Computer Currents, September 22nd, 1987. But he must have reposted it because it starts off with a little preface. It says, here in 2017... Carrying hundreds of gigabytes in my pocket, picking up a terabyte drive at Costco, blah, blah, blah. It's hard to remember a time before PDFs and Google. But in 1987, there was a big problem with riding a computerized bicycle that was still under development. How could I carry IC data books, product manuals, systems documentation, language books, atlases, and other reference material? So he goes on to talk about his solution. The technology that uh, you don't hear much about, I'm not sure I've ever dealt with it much, except maybe at, uh, looking for something really weird in a library. But uh, he talked about how he converted all his technical stuff to microfiche. <laughs> and he had some sort of handheld viewer that would do a 20 times uh, magnification. <laughs> and so he could ride around on this recumbent bicycle that had some sort of technology built into it and if he needed to fix something or look something up or whatever he had a library on microfiche i don't know for one i thought it was just kind of neat or weird or strange or funny and i don't know i thought it yeah. would appeal to the listeners on this podcast and yeah then, it's uh, definitely a throwback if you could convert your coco reference library to microfiche um would you consider doing it <laughs> i think i might would it would save a lot of space <laughs> yeah definitely would uh, when I was in the Air Force, uh, we used that for uh, for technical manuals and things, uh, certain categories of yeah. that. So it's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, and actually, the C-5 Galaxy, that aircraft, had an onboard uh, maintenance system that featured, uh, you know, that plane's so big you can fix it in flight. So uh, it actually had <laughs> lots of technical documents you could pull up that way in flight and uh, replace certain components. Wow. <laughs> we have a... We have a machine shop here in town, and they still use microfiche all the time. All their diagrams for the different engines, thats uh, they're still using it today. Yeah. I was just uh, there wow. doing a service call uh, not too long ago on one of their computers, and uh, they had a microfiche reader. Couldn't believe it. 2D Viewmaster. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, moving on, we have a link um, to a YouTube video from Wired Magazine. And uh, I have mixed feelings about this link. <laughs> so every video game in Ready Player One 
explained by author Ernest Klein. Now, this movie just came out, <laughs> and right about the time this video came out, I was thinking, oh, well, that's cool. But, you know, he goes on to talk about all the the video games he referenced in the book, Ready Player One. He even starts right off with Dungeons of Daggerath, and he makes reference to uh, some other um, uh, Coco stuff later in the video. But uh, unfortunately, here's a spoiler alert. Um, if you haven't seen Ready Player One, the movie, well, if you do see it, you're not going to see any Coco stuff. So sorry I spoiled it for you. But the decent movie. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say you shouldn't see it. I think it's a pretty good movie. I think it kind of told the story that is essentially the same story, which ultimately I think is a story about a lonely old inventor who wants uh, somebody to get to know him. The cocoa parts of the movie are completely gone from the movie. But um, if you've read the book and you're a fan, you may want to watch this video and see uh, him talk about the, the references to the color computer that were in the book. There wasn't a cocoa that I saw, but I could have sworn at the end there was a Tandy 1000 on a desk. Yes. Yeah, you know, it was. I looked at that. Well, there was one thing, and there may have been both. I think one of the things that were on the desk actually to me looked like the disc video interface for the damn Model 100. Really? And I was like, you can oh. put that in there, but you couldn't put a cocoa there? <laughs> yeah, really, huh? <laughs> and yeah. It's like, I was like... My my kids were saying, you know, dad, he's up or whatever. And I was like, they put a, a a a disc drive for a Commodore 64 laying on the floor and a yep. ColecoVision yep. and, you know, yep. whatever else. They couldn't have thrown in one Coco. Uh, and they're all over right. eBay, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so, the difference is the Coco is still used. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, good one. You'd think good they one. could have hooked up with the uh, the producers of uh, Young Sheldon and at least borrowed some stuff out of the, the radio <laughs> that's show. Right. Yeah. Even contact oh, well. us, we would have given them one. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. I even tweeted uh, uh, Ernie Klein and would give him a kind of a what the hell, but surprisingly, <laughs> he did not respond. <laughs> oh well. Let's move on. Got a link to a book. It's actually a Kindle book. And uh, we always we seem to come across this fourth language stuff from time to time, so I throw it in. So it's a book, uh, Moving Forth, Internals and TTL Processor. I'm not even sure if the TTL, what the TTL means in this case, because TTL and, and programming in fourth, well, they're not totally unrelated, <laughs> but, but not strictly speaking related either, uh, since one's hardware and one's not. Anyway, if you're a fourth fan, you may not have been aware that this book exists. I think it's it says in, in 2018, we have 50 years of fourth, so it must be fairly new. I have seen this Brad Rodriguez person um, on the web doing fourth stuff, so assume he's some sort of expert. So authors Brad Rodriguez and um, Jurgen Pentaska. Anyway, if you're into fourth, here's a book. You may want to check it out. So moving on, the next link I have, this one kind of showed up out of nowhere. Guillaume Major posts to the Facebook group. Now, he says not quite accurate, but it says someone uploaded Microware's original OS9 source code to the archive. So I looked at it, and I think what it really is, it looks more like to me like the, the like a board support package for porting OS9 to a new piece of hardware. Or in particular, yes. this one was reporting OS9 to the the SWTPC. 
there was some source code in there for some specific utilities and or like drivers and that sort of stuff, but no source for the kernel, I don't think. So actually there anyway, was. Was there? Yes, for the yeah, OS well, nine P one P two. Yeah. Well, so there you go. But uh, again, I think it's still supposed to be more like for a board support package, not not uh, not really intended for like normal builds. Is what I would expect. I could be wrong. Check it out if you're interested. Next link: New Radio Shack in Pocatello holds grand opening. This is uh, from uh, Scott Krause writing for the uh, Idaho State Journal. This is another one of those uh, Radio Shack still kind of exists, sort of. <laughs> so this is another. Um, you know, franchise store or whatever. Sounds like the franchise stores are doing okay. They certainly have a lot less competition from corporate stores these days. <laughs> um, yeah. So here's one in uh, Idaho. If you uh, happen to be in Idaho, you may be able to go check out a new Radio Shack. I'd like to hear what they're selling there, <laughs> what it looks like. That's the latest on Radio Shack news. Very exciting. Okay. Uh, here's an article from ZDNet, our author Scott Raymond. When BBS sysops ruled the earth. <laughs> if you're not really familiar with BBSs, or maybe if you are and you uh, want to see what they said about the past, you may want to check this one out. It does reference BBS the documentary, which was a collection of DVDs made by Jason Scott of the Internet Archive several years ago. You can find any... Uh, Opportunity to watch BBS the documentary, and I would recommend that. Very good. All right, here's one that, in general, we try to avoid talking much about kind of pre-announcements or whatever. <laughs> we like product announcements that are actually, you know, here I've got this product, you can buy it. Um, but this one came out this week and um, certainly stirred up a lot of buzz. So uh, I will mention it just for completeness, but. Um, Ed Snyder has um, announced that. So Ed Snyder's already been offering something he calls a mini MPI, which is essentially a two-slot replacement for the multi-pack interface. Now I guess he's gotten requests for more slots, so he's decided to do a four-port MPI replacement. Some of the community has gotten really excited lately over RS-232 ports. <laughs> so in his four-slot MPI replacement, he's added two uh, RS-232 ports based around the 16550 chip that was from um well from the old PCs. So it's a different chip than than uh, say the Deluxe RS232 pack. It's a different chip. But a better chip, arguably. And uh since everything has to have a sound chip these days <laughs> um he's uh decided he's gonna put on uh, an OPL three chip, I think it is. Um he's got a I forget the, it sounds like OPL3 maybe describes a, a range of chips. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which one he, he's using. Uh, he's got essentially a sound blaster sound chip on his four port MPI that he's announcing. But like I said, he's in, he's working on it. It's not something that's shipping or, or that you can order yet. Uh, he's uh, working on the design. All right, so moving on to the last one. There's a little vanity link here from me. And uh, this is a, uh, a video that I made and posted to YouTube. Feel free to check it out. This is a demo of what I call Farfall Master Edition. So this is my uh, this is this, the game Farfall that I've worked on and produced cartridges for and whatever. It's been available for several years now. 
but this is a new version that takes the, the existing Farfall music, which is based on banging the DAC, and instead we bang the um, SN76489 audio chip <laughs> to make the music. So it's got the original tunes that have been converted over to the uh, audio chip. This is the audio chip from that was used in the Tandy 1000. And uh, so it's got those original tunes. I've got a new tune that I added. Also, I've added a couple of embellishments, um, a dedication screen, a uh, special thanks screen for Farfall's biggest fan, a couple of uh, digitized uh, audio effects. Uh, when you get a high score, you get to hear me say, I score. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Anyway, check out the video. Farfall is kind of my... Uh, my project is kind of run, run a long time, labor of love, what shall we say. Been taking a little crap from some other media uh, outlets on uh, the um, poor quality of my musical composition. Well, you know, I have a master's degree in computer engineering. It didn't cover a lot of music theory. I happen to think I did all right on the music. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Um, so there. <laughs> All right, well, yeah. that's probably enough news for now. Why don't we take another little break, and then we'll be back with some feedback. Falsoff presents Play of the Day. Following their glorious sales season of 1979, Charles Tandy's Radio Shack had become the most victorious team in computer retail history. The only retailer to sell more than 200,000 pre-built computers that year. But for Charles Tandy and Radio Shack, there was no time for resting on their laurels. Only one goal remained, to be champions again. Every sales season presents a new challenge. But most challenging is the season that follows the glory of being a world champion. And that is the challenge that Radio Shack faced in 1980. That challenge was met on a hot July day in Fort Worth, Texas. Introducing the TRS-80 Model 3, the TRS-80 Pocket Computer, and the TRS-80 Color Computer. By the fall of 1980, Radio Shack's hard work and determination began to pay off as their newest systems began to appear in stores. Men like Charles Tandy and John Roach, innovative CEOs and risk-takers, begin reshaping the burgeoning personal computer industry. And that's why Radio Shack is Falsoff's Play of the Day. Okay, Coco Cruisers, now it's time for some feedback. First item of feedback comes from El Curtis Boyle, the, uh, the Spanish gangster. Uh, no. <laughs> El Curtis Boyle from uh, from the Great White North. He uh, His feedback pertains to uh, uh, Boise's OS9 segments. Uh, it says, one thing I would mention for Boise's talking about the kernel handling system calls. System calls is the OS9 terminology for what would now be known as an API call. This may make it more clear for modern types of people. Smiley face. Boise, you got any response to that? I agree with Curtis, actually. Uh, using the term API to describe the entire set 
of system calls that the OS9 operating system provides is probably very appropriate, yes, and it's definitely what I would call an application programming interface. So it's a good analogy. Thank you, Curtis. All right, moving on. Next item comes from uh, also one of our neighbors to the north, uh, D. Bruce Moore. What is it with you Canadians and your first initials? Neil, what's your real first initial? <laughs> uh, Bruce says, thanks for airing my Coco Forever commercial on the latest podcast. Very much appreciated. So there you go. <laughs> we are suckers for random audio. So uh, <laughs> if you've got something you want promoted, you might consider contacting us, and uh, we might just air it. You never know. Very good, Bruce. Thanks for the feedback. And then the last item we have is from um, Henry Wrightveld, also known as Wrightveld Wrightveld. Henry says, John, I will be ordering one of the composite outboards you talked about and install it in my TDP. So assuming that's the TDP 100, uh, which is essentially a Cocoa 1. The last one's tech segment was about taking a essentially off-the-shelf um, composite video board uh, designed for an Atari 2600 and using it to add composite video, uh, well, really AV for audio as well, uh, output on your Cocoa 1. Works for me. I hope it works for you. Uh, let me know if you have any problems. I'd love to hear about it. Okay, well, that's our feedback for this month. So we're going to take another little break, and uh, we'll be back with a host discussion. New from SCS, Strictly Color Software. Kamikaze. Fight off Takaniro Nishi's kamikazes. Find and destroy his fleet before it finds you. High-res graphics include fighter versus fighter, torpedo and dive bomber versus ship, kamikaze attacks, ship versus ship, and more. Four levels, 32K cassette, just $24.95. And Mission Empire, a strategic war game strategy game. Start with one planet, incomplete intelligence, and limited resources. You must conquer the galaxy. Play takes two to five hours and is different every time. All versions offer the game save option. Specify 32K disc, 32K cassette, or 16K cassette. Just $19.95. SCS, Strictly Color Software. We sell challenges. War games and strategy games for your Coco. SCS, West Point, Pennsylvania. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back. So this is a very special uh, episode of, of the Coco Group podcast, at least as far as I'm concerned. This actually marks uh, a full three years of episodes. Actually, I think we have one extra episode that was a special episode, but we're, we're really marking three years of doing the podcast. We started, uh, you know, the the month after Coco Fest a couple of years back, and well, this is our third <laughs> third uh, Coco Fest since. For episode 35, we started at zero, 36 episodes. So I thought it would be nice to have a little reflection. So Neil and I have been here for all 36. Um, Mike's been here for maybe half of that, is about 18. Is that right? Something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, Boys has joined us a little more recently. Uh, in spirit, he's been with us the whole time, but um, right. he's been three or four months of regular hosting, maybe more than that. And then since we got Mark on for the first time, we figured to let him talk too. <laughs> so I felt, um, you know, when we started the, the podcast, I felt like we were reaching out, trying to build a community. 
trying to revitalize uh, or vitalize one way or the other Coco Fest, <laughs> kind of bring Coco Fest back from the edge, honestly. I think uh, I'm not sure, at least at the time, I wasn't sure Coco Fest was going to keep going this long if we didn't get in and, and make the community a little more active. Neil had been talking to me for a while and kind of I got the feeling that he really wanted to do something to, to help build the community. And I knew he had done some DJ work, so I roped him in to helping and uh, doing some editing and getting the podcast out. Here we are three years in. I know. I remember when we said uh, we were going to start, Boise said, well, make sure you commit to it and do it for a while. You know, don't just do uh, two episodes and be done. Well, Boise, I think we've done uh, <laughs> a little better than that. Uh, I hope you agree. You've done me uh, proud, son. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, here we are. The the community looks a lot different now. Uh, we have um, have two podcasts in the community, and I don't think anybody three years ago was sure we'd even support one. The uh, Coca Fest has been has grown like gangbusters the past couple of years. Um, pretty much uh, filling the venue to the to the point of wondering if we should have gone something bigger this year. You know, it's a lot of excitement. Uh, the Facebook groups and the new the the mailing list. You know, there's a there's a Discord chat server that's constantly uh, in use, and um, lots of excitement, lots of projects going on. I like to think that we had some part to do with that, getting out and talking about stuff. You know, doing our own projects initially and talking about those, and and then whenever we saw somebody doing something, trying to say something nice which had always traditionally been a problem when the Coco group <laughs> said we weren't real good about saying anything nice about people doing projects. And in the process, we brought a few people that had kind of lost interest um, in the Coco and had brought them back into the fold. A few of those I think may have brought some of the <laughs> some uh, old habits with them back, but we'll break them eventually. <laughs> back to being nice. <laughs> Anyway, I'm kind of vamping, monologuing, whatever, but I, I do want all of us to have a chance to say something. So I'm going to yield the floor now and uh, ask uh, Neil to get on the soapbox and uh, tell us a little bit about what he thinks is uh, what we've done here and if we're doing uh, doing good for the world. Well, I uh, definitely think you nailed it. Um, three years ago, looking back now, um, it was definitely a different time. I mean, I remember going to Cocoa Fest and uh, – the, the numbers are dwindling. I mean, th there wasn't a lot of people showing up, and uh, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, how much longer is this going to go? Like, I, I was kind of scared for the fest, you know, and uh, I really do think we did help. You know, a few people, uh, we, we brought people in. I, you know, Stevie uh, Strobridge found us, and uh, we convinced him to go to Cocoa Fest, and now he has his show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think we definitely reached out to a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a good thing. And uh, I, I'm definitely honored to be a part of this podcast as well, uh, to have this opportunity. Uh, I remember three years ago at Cocoa Fest, uh, before I knew it, you know, it was early in the morning. I'm just waking up, and uh, Boise's taking our picture. I'm like, oh, I, I guess we're gonna we're doing it. This is it. You know, no turning back now. So it was really cool. It's been a nice ride, and um, I hope we continue doing it. In our old logo, uh, Neil has a look on his face at, Kind of looks a little surprised or unsure, which I liked because you kind of posed it to where it looked like I'm like holding my hand out and showing him the world, and he's kind of blinking like it's an amazing sight. <laughs> but realistically, <laughs> we'd kind of ambushed him, and he didn't know what we we're doing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Poor deal. That's pretty funny. And strategically in the morning um, too, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So not too long into the podcast, we started getting some cool uh, audio submissions from uh, uh, someone who we knew already is a good friend. We'd uh, gone to uh, Cocoa Fest with him a long time, and we hit, but we had no idea that he was so talented uh, in terms of not only just editing, but also producing his own music. I think maybe that was one of the first things he did a, a, a piano version of the Farfall theme, um, you know, a simple little tune that it is. Uh, we started playing that as our outro music, um, but you know the the contributions kept coming, and uh, eventually we uh, we had to draft you in as another host. Um, <laughs> Mike, was, is that the way you remember it? And uh, what do you think? Are, are you glad that you joined up with us? Yeah, that's pretty much the way I remember it. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a blast. Uh, this keeps me busy as hell, but uh, that's good. My hands aren't idle. Uh, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, Coco Fest was getting pretty meager where, you know, we already had to shrink the venue. It's good now. It looks like we're on the upswing and we may have the opposite problem. We need to get a bigger venue. The show also ended up bringing about Tandy Assembly. So uh, oh, yeah. a lot of, lot of activity yeah. in the community. And uh, uh, it's just been good to be a kind of a present voice there. So uh, people know the Coco's alive and kicking and uh, keep the excitement going to the Cocoa New Year at uh, Cocoa Fest. <laughs> exactly. We're going to have the Cocoa New Year here in a couple of weeks. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be packed to the gills. Um, I wonder how the uh, the, the meal's going to go. We have to have people going up to eat in the parking lot or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, that should be fun. Uh, Boise, I know you're uh, not always a fan of the uh, of the group meals, so uh, I doubt if you'll be part of the crew going out to the the parking lot to eat. But uh, kind of picking on you here a little bit. But uh, why don't you uh, tell us what you've thought of the podcast, how you thought we've been doing, and and uh, how you feel about uh, being our newest uh, you know regular host. Well, John, as you indicated, we had talked about this you and I and Neil over two years ago, and. I felt at the time, and you did, and so did Neil, that there was something that was needed in the community. You know, I, I look at this podcast, and I've said it before, just like getting the Rainbow Magazine in my mailbox every month, which obviously we can't get that anymore, but it's something to look forward to every month, and it's always filled with great content, news, information, host discussions, perspectives from everyone. The commercials that Mike does are just, you know, off the charts. It just brings back so much nostalgia with the commercials that Mike uh, pr uh, produces and the other content. It's just, it's a great testament to the Coco community. You know, we have other, the other podcasts now, Stevie's, Stevie Stroh's podcast, which is more of a live show, and I think that fills in a great need as well. So you've got two shows. You've got one that does it live every week, and then you've got something that is more uh, monthly and more paced, and I think it's just great. I think the Coco Crew podcast is uh, is responsible, as you indicated, for boosting attendance at the Coco Fest. I can see it. Everyone, you know, is more enthused about going, and you've got people listening from all over. The download count is off the charts. So, uh, yeah, I'm 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 pleased as punch. You guys you guys have done it well, and I'm extremely proud of that. And as for uh, coming on board and, and, and hosting or being part of the hosting team, I should say, you know, I've always listened and occasionally sat in, but um, I've really enjoyed being able to contribute here and there and look forward to continuing to do that. 
I just enjoy working with all of you. Thank you. Cool. Well, we'd like you to. <laughs> and I definitely think uh, your um, your uh, um, OS9 segments recently have been especially welcome, filling in a gap that, uh, you know, I, I know some of the stuff, but I can't to represent the OS9 stuff the way you can. And so it's definitely uh, good to have you in that, in that role. That's been great. Thank you. All right, well, so you're not getting off uh, without talking a little bit here, Mark. Um, I know uh, your role has been more as a witness or uh, an outsider in some respects, but you are definitely uh, in contact with uh, with all of us on a regular basis. We know what you're up to. You usually know what we're up to. Um, but you've seen the podcast. I know you listen, uh, or you've heard the podcast, I should say. I know you listen. Uh, you've watched it happen. You've watched it grow. Tell us what you think is the effect of this podcast um, and um, where you think we ought to be heading from now on out. You know, as an avid listener, um, I've never missed one. I've probably listened to a few of them over and over again. It's really amazing. You you guys, um, I share the same feelings as Boise said. I was going to compare you guys to the rainbow because that's really where you are in my mind. Every month, I think, how can they top it? And you do. I mean, it's incredible. Um, It's enjoyable. I, too, believe that you had a big role, um, not a small role, but a big role in increasing the attendance. I've never missed a a Chicago Last Cocoa Fest. I've been to every one of them. Um, There's been times where it's the same people over and over and over again, and it was more like a family event where we'd get together, and don't get me wrong, that was great, but it's... It's great to see it growing again. The excitement is there. When you're there, you feel it. I believe a lot has to do with your show. I mean, you're all great. It's, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful listen. I don't know how to say it much different than that. Well, thanks. That's, uh, that's great feedback. Yeah, it's good to hear, definitely. Yeah, definitely great. Cool. Well, that's our thoughts. You know, I think we all feel like we've, uh, we're part of something worthwhile. I feel like we're contributing to the hobby we're all putting in some of ourselves i hope everyone uh, <laughs> likes the show i hope even if you don't like the show you can at least appreciate that we're trying to build the hobby trying to make a difference you know if you're listening and hearing this you're already a coco cruiser so that's great <laughs> but uh, we hope you stick with us i'm not sure and we're not we, we don't have an end date on this i don't know how long we'll last i suspect we'll be here a while longer <laughs> Probably won't go on forever, you know, but you never know. Maybe we should call it the last Coco Crew podcast. Uh, Boise would hate that. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, well, that's enough of me uh, um, soaking up the, uh, the the happy thoughts or whatever. Three years in, I've uh, enjoyed it, and I hope you keep doing it uh, quite a while longer. Hope uh, I hope the rest of my team sticks with me here. So for now, we're going to draw this discussion to a close, take another break, and we're going to put Marlette on the hot seat. Hi, Cocoa Cruisers. It's me again, Candy Weller, with some tips to make your Cocoa Fest experience successful. If you're traveling a long distance to Lombard, make sure you stay hydrated. A bottle of water in between soft drinks, coffee, and energy drinks will keep your body ready for the event. It will also force some extra bathroom stops along the way keep you more alert. Chew gum! It increases circulation and alertness. 
You can also chuck it at the bad drivers you encounter along the way. Carry a small bottle of peppermint extract. If you get sleepy, open the bottle and take a big sniff. It will give you an instant boost. Nothing beats nature's poppers. Carry some healthy snacks. An apple or some almonds will help you fight the effects of that truck stop vending machine sandwich. And finally, if you get really sleepy, just imagine what I'm wearing as I'm recording this. Until next time, this is Candy Weller wishing you a safe and happy Cocoa Fest. All right. Welcome back, Cocoa Cruisers. We really have a treat now. We finally got Mark Marlette to join us uh, on the uh, on the air, so to speak. And uh, we're going to try to do something resembling a proper interview. Now, this may be a little difficult for us because we all, all of us hosts, know uh, Mark fairly well from Cocoa Fest even beyond Cocoa Fest from random chats and phone calls and whatever else. Um, and even a few Mardi Gras in there, I understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're going to try to introduce uh, Mark to our listening crowd and um, try to take that approach. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. You've already spoken a little bit. Why don't you tell us, uh, start off telling us a little bit about well, how you first became exposed to the cocoa and, um, you know, when you went over the edge as a retro cocoa person. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I said that in my opening, but I really mean it. I mean, you guys have asked me before to come on the show. We, we know that you haven't often haven't come on the show because um, you haven't felt like you uh, had a real product to announce or whatever. And I appreciate that. I really do. Um, a lot of people are dying to get to the microphone as fast as they think of something to say. <laughs> so we've had a little more effort trying to coax you in. But uh, I do really appreciate uh, you don't you don't jerk us around or mess with us. You, you tell us when you've got something, you to let us know it's coming. Um, or you let us know when it's here. You don't uh, string us along for uh, for however it's saying it's coming, it's coming. So I appreciate that. Just, uh, let me just interject that. But, uh, yeah, well, sorry, I didn't know, mean to interrupt. No, that's fine. I, I I appreciate that. So I mean, with that, I mean, I can I can start, but I I've never left the cocoa community, so this goes way back. <laughs> it's it seems like it seems like a long time, but not really. Um, it's it's really amazing. I mean. You go back to um, high school in Iowa. Yep, that's kind of where I grew up. I mean, I worked for a small electronics engineering and production environment where we used the um, RCA 1802. Um, oh, wow. The lead electrical engineer introduced me to the Cosmic Elf. That's basically <laughs> where it all started. I kind of learned how to do hand assembly, figuring out all the branches, entering the machine code via hexadecimal keyboard. <laughs> it was on a, t a black and white television, no storage. You'd work your butt off, turn the machine off. Um, it was gone. It was great. I learned a lot. I still have that machine in my collection. I also had an industrial arts teacher who allowed me to progress at my own pace. And at the end of the junior year, I'd taken all the available courses in electronics. And they really had nothing more to offer me. The following year, he placed me in a self-directed class, which was unheard of. I was the only one in it. 
He was a great mentor and probably the most influential person um, in the starting of my career outside the support of my parents. He truly got me started in the electronics theory aspect of things. And, you know, back about that time, you know, that was 1980, uh, my dad purchased a, a 4K Coco One. I was hooked. I mean, you want to say that was the start? That was it. Later on, he subscribed to the Rainbow. And I remember, just like Boise said earlier in the, in the podcast, you know, unable to wait until the next issue would arrive at the mailbox. I mean, I'd read, the, I'd read it over and over and over again, literally wearing out the magazine. You know, you, you go back to that. It's, it's just a great experience. With that, we upgraded the memory um, on the computer. I mean, it was a 4K. We upgraded it. We built our own floppy drives. My dad was an electrician with some television background. We would piece this stuff together. It was fun. Father-son time that we had. Shortly after that, I mean, I moved away to Minneapolis and went to school. I didn't have a cocoa. I didn't have any money. It was a very, very tight budget. And a 16K was about where they were at right then. A Coco One, I believe, were about 349 plus shipping at the time. And on my budget at that time, it was it was out of this world. But I worked my butt off, and that's all I did was I worked and saved to get a Coco. So in the meantime, I would have to drive four and a half hours back home to um, help Dad out with his questions on the Coco. Um, he did really well. He ended up writing his own investments programs and such under basic and he would ask me certain programming questions and it was amazing um, just just all in all a, a great time i believe i got my coco one 16k was in the fall of 1982 it came into a typewriter shop where um, i had it shipped to me and I, it came into a typewriter shop and i remember it i just opened the thing up and immediately, I perforated the warranty sticker. I mean, <laughs> I flipped it over. I looked at it and said, boom, I went right through it. Um, you know, I fixed electronic typewriters, et cetera, there. So, I mean, I did a ton of troubleshooting while going to school. And I didn't even actually think twice about it. I opened that thing up, and it was like looking under the hood of a hot rod. I mean, you just, you're in awe, you know. Um, it, it's it's hard to describe. I mean, I'm sure you guys all have kind of been there at one point and another. You know, the passion's there. From there, I interface different circuits, and I, always, you know, started designing things. Um, I was hooked. I mean, and I've been hooked ever since, and it's been a wonderful journey. Again, I've never left. I mean, it started back in 1980. Professionally at work, I know a lot of people say this, I'm I'm where I am because of the cocoa. Oh, yeah. Definitely feel that way myself. You know, I get a lot of people that contact Cloud9, and in the stories, you know, are pretty much the same. They had it as a kid. They didn't have the money. Um, they do now, professionally. They love the cocoa, and they want to get back to their childhood. So... You know, is the cocoa practical? We all know that it isn't in the world of computing today, but it's really not about that. So 
No, I've, I met you yeah. guys um, at, at some of these uh, Cocoa Fests um, throughout the years. Boise, of course, was the first. So, yeah, I've made a lot of friends, probably made a few enemies, but I hope that's, <laughs> you know, the minor. <laughs> and it is a uh, major and wonderful part of my life. Causes a few arguments with Sandy. Um, <laughs> here and there, I'm sure you guys can all say the same. You know, we oh, spend way, oh, yeah. way too much time. <laughs> um, on this computer, you know, people at work, professional engineering is, you know, for defense contractor, that's my day job. They give me a lot of crap for sticking with the cocoa, but it's my playtime. It's what I enjoy. That's what I like to go back to. I have a PC. Um, I use it as a development tool, um, but all in all, my playtime, and I don't play games. John, you've seen me play your games, I suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you, you're not going to be making any competitive uh, gaming videos uh, to go up against Steve Strobridge. And that's definitely. kind of saying something because he's not exactly a great game player either. <laughs> yeah. I think you said once, you said the object was not to get knocked off or stay on the platform. Yeah, and it's like, platforms. John, I'm trying, really. Uh, I am. <laughs> I am. I am that bad at it, though. So, but what was funny is, you know, the the guys at work or whatever, you know, would give me a shot, and I'd say, you know what? I can tell you down to the bit level how IDE works. I interviewed at Seagate one time, and I knew no, more about low-level SCSI than the engineers that I was interviewing with because they said, you know what? We just don't deal at that level anymore. It was a good time. It was fun to do. But with the cocoa, I'm constantly trying to get more and more out of the machine, like you know, a lot of the programmers are pushing it constantly. That's what I enjoy. I did, in fact, attend one of the Rainville Fests in Schaumburg. Boise and I have discussed this several times, trying to remember um, which one it was. It's amazing as you're young, you just don't remember to save things. I should have saved the manual. I should have saved you know, my tag to get in, you know, all this stuff. I mean, I discarded it at some point in time, but I'm pretty sure it was 1986 is the Rainbow Fest I attended. As our firstborn son was pretty young, and it was born before our secondborn, which she was born in 1988. So we same drill. We just bought a house, starting a family, broke bills, but... I wanted to do this. It was something I felt I needed to do. You can read all the Rainbow Fest reviews you want to. It would not prepare you for the experience you were about to have. It was amazing. <laughs> the the amount of people, yeah. it was staggering. There was a long hallway before you got down into the ballroom, and it was like ants, hurting ants. I mean, it was just you were packed into this hallway, and you would move a half a step at a time, and you'd move forward and move forward. Eventually, you'd get to the ballroom door, and the room was literally filled with people as well. I'm, going, I'm, I'm looking around, and it's like there's Burke and Burke on the other side of the room. i wow. got to get over there and get a hard disk interface. So I worked my way over there, and literally, just before I got there, they sold the last one. Uh, and oh. I'm like, oh, my God, I was crushed. But, I mean, there's so much to see. It's like you're in Hollywood. I mean, 
I was young. I mean, 20, in my 20s. It's like, like I said, in Hollywood, all the stars were there. You'd walk around, you'd see the name. I saw Kent Myers. Um, so I approached him because he was walking around with his vest on. It said he was from Leroy, Minnesota, which is a small town in southern Minnesota, southeast Minnesota, where I would drive by when I go back to my parents' house. And I go, are you kidding me? You know, so I just went up to him, uh, introduced myself, and from there started a long, great relationship with him until he passed away. I mean, I would call him late at night. He said, don't matter. If it's 1 o'clock in the morning, you can call me. It doesn't bother me. If I'm here, I'll pick up. If not, um, you won't hear from me. But generally, he was there working. He was a wealth of knowledge uh, on the OS9 side. I mean, just a wonderful person. Great sense of humor. Uh, he, he was great. He also introduced me into to different people. I mean, on one time, if he couldn't answer my questions, um, he would get in contact with people um, that, that did have the answers. Um, and I remember one time um, speaking with Kevin Darling about the two megs and OS9 and how it worked. Um, Kent, he was a wealth of knowledge. Uh, Kevin was not. I mean, he held his cards fairly close. And again, I never really met him um, in person. So this was kind of on the, on the phone. So back then and there, I mean, it's, it was a different time. These were their livelihood. A lot of people were trying to make a go of it, you know, making a living of it. And as, you know, most of people say, as it's a hobby for them, it's really a hobby business for me as well. It is kind of a business, but it's still a hobby to me. Uh, it's not my mainstay uh, on how I make my income, but... Um, well, I was going to ask uh, about that sort of... Um... You know, at some point, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people come into the hobby, and uh, you know, part of the part of the draw to some degree, for at least for some people, I think, is kind of imagining themselves as you know, as a, a real producer back in the day, so to speak, right? Especially for software, you know, you picture yourself as you know, as, as Steve Bjork or Rick Adams or something back in the day, right? Dealing with Tandy. And I imagine some of the people doing hardware kind of feel the same way, but it's just a natural thing to not to kind of to play that out a little bit and want to actually be a business as opposed to just some guy that shows up with a few things in his bag. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, uh, I'm, I mean, it so really... That, did it play out that way for you, and how was it maybe different for you and... and uh, you know, becoming a, a you know a provider of stuff for the community. And for a long time, you're the only serious vendor in the community, <laughs> at least for hardware. Why don't you tell us a bit about how you made that transition to to being that uh, you know that that vendor? At first, how it started out was I made products that I wanted, and then hopefully that other people would then, of course, want and have. I mean, I remember talking to, uh, geez, 92, I believe it was, um, talking to Tony DiStefano, Disto, um, at one of the last Coco Fests. At the time, I was working on a 2-meg upgrade 
and some other memory cards, a 512 SIM card, etc. But I could get the 2 meg card to boot, and it would work, run memory tests, etc. And but it wouldn't boot OS 9. I approached Tony at the fest, and I asked him, and and Tony was a very very soft-spoken uh, person. He was older than I was. I was kind of reluctant to approach him, but he looked at my design, and he kind of smiled and looked at me and then said a four-letter word. And it was kind of funny. The four-letter word wasn't anything that you'd be expecting. It was a hexadecimal expression. He told me to go check it out, and I did. I did my research. I made the hardware change, and then, of course, um, OS 9 Nitrous then booted no problem. At that point in time, I told myself, I will never compete against Tony. I mean, he was gracious enough to help me out with that little bit of information. And I just told myself I I would never compete with him or against him. Um, Well, shortly after that, um, he sold out of all of his bad boards. I don't know if Boise, you remember him being there or if that was before your time, Um, but he had bags of defective cards. Tony was there, I don't remember him in 92, but I def- definitely remember him in 93, and 94, and 95. Yeah. And I have I, some pictures of that time to, to I could go back and pinpoint the exact year. Yeah, it was, it was great um, having him there. But you could see he was, again, it was, it, was a, it was a declining period. He saw that. I'm sure his sales were way down. And what's kind of funny, all the boards he sold, he'd tell you, hey, they don't work. Here's a documentation package you could buy. Just riddled with documentation errors. Um, it was kind of funny because you would look at it. Someone that knew, uh, you know, hardware design is like, well, there's no way this can work. But to the people that was just going to copy these things, it'd get right by them. So it's his kind of way of copy protection, I think. <laughs> so, you know, he kind of exited, and you know, that was kind of the start of Cloud9 then. I was doing this in about 94. I started, I didn't really officially register with the state of Minnesota till 1998. That slow gray period was my startup period. We had a membership or, you know, a Twin Cities Color Computer Club um, back in the day. And that's where the um, acronym TC3 come from, Twin Cities Color Computer Club. And that was the SCSI controller that our club had um, designed. And that's where that came from. We would meet downtown in the government center. And I don't know, man, 100, 150 people would show up. We'd have tables. They'd have machines. Everybody had their groups. You know, it was, it was crazy. You know, that's where I met Robert Bros. He had, you know, several articles in the OS9, you know, newsletter about hacking a second port and a deluxe RS-232 pack. He was well known for his patches and descriptors um, into the floppy disk drive for the WD-1793 for the high-density mod. I did that mod. It was would have been easier, I believe, just to build a new controller. I mean, it was astronomically... Um, complex number of cuts and ads that you had to do. But it really did do the high-density 1.44 data transfer rate. Um, I modified the 
his mod even further so that you would auto sense the hole on a floppy to set the bit in the descriptor properly. The TC3 came from here. Um, I was just starting CPLDs back then. And this is 98, roughly. They granted me the permission to proceed with a redesign and take all the discrete logic and place it into uh, a CPLD. The people, you know, back then, I don't know if, you know, people really realized, but there was, these tools were not free uh, then. There was no free board layout tools. Um, it was not easy to um, get boards made as it is today. You know, the internet, I guess, was in its early days of, of forming, but today it's easy. I mean, you can turn around, get a board made, whatever. Uh, back then it was not. I mean, I remember you had silver negatives, photo imaging, the really old school stuff was my original designs were on all that stuff. Crazy. I mean, how different it is today from back then. One other person that would, I'd like to mention that was uh, in our Twin Cities Color Computer Club, he showed up at the tail end. Um, it was a guy named of, uh, Rick Adams. I don't know if any of you have met him. <laughs> but uh, Rick attended um, towards the tail end when things were really winding down. If I remember right, about six people showed up that night um, when he was there. But, you know, Rick has stories. He's, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, it, it was great. So, I mean, way, way, way back then is when I first met Rick. You know, it's great to have him back generating code again. Just, just wonderful. Yeah, well, Rick is a great guy. It's great to have him back in the community. You know, back to the first, you know, Cocoa Fest where Boise, you know, I, I did meet Boise. It's no secret. We kind of hit it off. I, I don't know, Boise, do you recall exactly? when that was my memory's terrible on stuff like this but uh I, I i think it was we may have been at the same fest at 92 and 93 but i think we really got to know each other at the 94 fest it was it was definitely early on i mean since then i mean we gosh when we were developing the uh, super ide in 2004 actually 2003 wow. we started the development and in 2004 we released it when I was creating the hardware for Super IDE, and he created SuperDriver and all of the nitrous uh, improvements to the OS um, at that time. I mean, we'd call each other every day, multiple times. Sandy awful, often refers to Boise as um, my mistress or my other or the other girlfriend. Yeah, Tony also <laughs> refers to Mark as my girlfriend. So, yeah. so, oh boy, you know, even like today, she's like, were you just talking to Boise? I'm like, yeah, I was. I don't know why she's still surprised by it, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it was a lasting uh, relationship and friendship. I mean, we had some pretty good discussions during the, if you recall, Boise um, in the development of you know the the hardware you would push me and I'd kind of like say no you know what it's it's good enough and you know I would do the same with you it's like hey why don't you query the drive like all the other OS's mm -hmm. yeah and you're like no way well well that particular request uh, required changes to RBF as I recall which turned out to be good and in, in you know in the long run but was more work so 
You know, that's I'll second that with Mark. It's, we did push each other on our products, which really helped making them better. Well, so Mark, do you um, what are you working on these days? Do you have anything you want to tell us about? That uh, anything we should be looking forward to for Cocoa Fest? I I have been uh, working on uh, multiple projects, and again, it seems like you you know you you get caught you know in the rinse cycle sometimes, and <laughs> you know things that you think are are very very simple you don't see in the development or the evolution of the product um, all the issues that you might have I have been working on a product um, and everyone's actually go back a little bit here you know everyone's aware that you know my current products PS2 keyboard I'm currently adding a dragon keyboard support to that but uh, due to these other problems going backwards, um, I haven't been able to actually finish up on that. It's actually not that hard because of the way the modularity is in the code there. All I have to do is generate a new key table um, for that. Um, the memory solution with the triad, um, that's still to date a huge seller. Tandy didn't like to give out numbers, but to date I've sold almost 600 of those boards. It's, wow, wow. It's, it's it's still a huge seller. I recently in, in you know improved the way the production is made on those so that I can kick them out faster. Supra Spectro is another great product by uh, Felipe Antos Antonosi. Felipe. Anyway, I can't pronounce his last name correctly. Um, that's a great product as well. I had to do a recall on that to re because I found out after the fact that. The code that he loaded in it was for the 86 gimme, and you had to preload uh, the proper firmware into the FPGA, which is a nightmare from a standpoint when someone doesn't have that capability to put the right gimme in, or if you have a machine that has different gimmies, like I do here, constantly reburning. So. Uh, I did a recall on that. I updated, redesigned the color resistors, updated the uh, power distribution network. Um, currently, it looks great. Um, I have a bunch of boards here. Actually, a lot of returns. I think I got some of your guys's here. Boise, John, uh, Neil, Mike's for sure. So yeah, I got them all that need to have that put in there and, and gotten back to you. I mean, I've been lagging on it just because of this product that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, um, getting caught in the rinse cycle. So a new production of those are going to be coming. I'm planning for a run on those about 50 to 100 units. And I've been improving the way that that product is produced. It's, it's very intensive. There's over 125 components on that little board, and it's time-consuming um, to produce. Another thing that I want to touch base on is I, I purchased a CNC machine, which was a huge investment in time. I, it's paying off now, but it was a two, three, four months of in investing in how the software works, you know, um, how you transfer things from one platform, like my Gerber PCB development, and get it over into G-Code um, on, on the CNC machine. So, I mean, things that were impossible before to do, I'm able to do that now. For instance, making soldering templates, you touched on that on, on the last podcast. Um, something that I can get easily. It's not um, hard to get these devices or templates. Um, it's just time consuming. Something that I'd wait for a week and I now can 
sit down on a computer and make a change, walk over, and in five minutes, um, it's cutting it out, and it just takes it a couple minutes to have a new template out um, so I can adjust my uh, production. Solder paste is kind of hard to deal with. You know, it's very temperature sensitive, so you want to have things pretty stable so that you don't end up with voids or shorts when you're running through it. So the right amount of paste is, you know, essential. We all know, I, I, before I talk about the new product, I really kind of want to discuss kind of a monkey on my back. Um, we're all, I know you guys are all aware of it. I mean, you know, at some point in time with all these new products, I thought this great idea would be, you know, to have a super board. You know, <laughs> right. this board would have everything on it, all my products on it. And, um, fantastic idea. You know, I started off, I tried to gauge the interest of this new product, and I took deposits. This was very early on in my business career, excuse me, and, you know, this, this was a big mistake. If I could go back and change one thing in the history of Cloud9, it would be this. Yeah. But I can't. As with everything else, you know, life got in its way. I ended up in divorce court. It wasn't simple because, you know, we have development property here west of Minneapolis. So um, it was considerable amount of money that was up for play. And that alone took several years um, to work through that. That rolling into the ever-changing technology and trying to stay ahead of with, with the design and try to design for the future so that this board would last for a long time, I mean, it's not easy. Designing to the unknown is very hard to do. I mean, I look back at the vision that the original designers had in the cocoa, and it's it's amazing. I grade myself on anything less than that would be a failure. Um, so over-design it. You know, the super board had to be super. And at that point in time, it wasn't. And honestly, I lost the desire of the product at one point. It wasn't that I didn't quit working on it, because I did. I kept searching for the proper solution um, in, in the ever-changing tech sector. It took a while, trying different things, looking at different products. I mean, I, I investigated. I look at chips. Um, I actually get them. I try them out, make sure they work. They do as they say, and, and that doesn't always happen. I finally hit it. I'm excited about it. I have one now. I want to have it done. I returned from a vacation, and it was back in uh, 2016 from Memphis, or after the 2016 Cocoa Fest, we went to Memphis. We drove down to Memphis and then Nashville and spent some time there because I was working, basically, the wintertime is my Cocoa time exclusively um, to design. And the last day prior to returning home to Minnesota, my daughter calls, who was um, house-sitting our cat. She said she comes into the house, and there's water all over the floor. And she wanted to know where the water valve was to shut off. So I told her. So she went downstairs, and water was running out of the ceiling into the basement, um, which is basement is 100% finished. That's where the lab is and the office is directly under the valve that broke. Um, it was a flood-safe valve that burst under the kitchen, which is really ironic because it's supposed to save you from a flood, and it actually created the flood. 
So, <laughs> so <laughs> <I'm not> typical. <laughs> From you know, so service master come in. They mitigated um, everything. They moved 80% of our house out of the existing structure and put it in pots. For the next year, the house was rebuilt. I mean, it literally took a year to rebuild the house and get things back in. And during that time, any part that was not covered by insurance, we were renovating that part of the house as well. I I had no place to develop. I had no place to work. Again, not trying to make excuses, just trying to explain that life does get in its way, and there's things that you plan, you, you try to plan for that just knock you right off your feet. And this was several years um, that this happened. When we started to unpack the pods, Sandy, she's my partner. We're not married, but we've been together for, God, 14, 15, 16 years, something like that. She wouldn't allow my house to return to be a cocoa house. I... I I don't understand. I, I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> I had cocoa stuff everywhere. I mean, literally, I bought out Ken Baker. I don't know if you guys remember him, um, but I bought him out, and it was. They delivered the stuff in a semi. I filled up three rooms of the house to the ceiling. I remember getting 150 tape decks over. I sold over 500 cocoa threes over the time with him. My collection and stuff like that was all safe from the water. I mean, I, it, that stuff never got hurt because it's elevated and, and so forth, pretty much protected. So I started to move on. Um, I can say today, again, we're not, we're not complete on that. We're making Bluetooth. You know, it seems like Bluetooth is a, is a pretty solid platform. I'm working on some um, instances with some apps engineers to work out a couple uh, issues that we're having. Found a great source. They've appear to be true to their word and have an excellent vision for the future. So that selection has been made as well. And it seems like everyone's getting into the memory and sound. Uh, I figured, what the hell, I might as well jump in as well. I currently have a sound platform as well. Um, it's going to have, it's, it's extremely feature loaded and it, it really differs, John, from the GMC. You're, you're GMC definitely fits a niche um, that my card does not um, have. Mine's more of a system sound in it, but I don't really want to talk uh, too much about it, except um, it is basically feature-loaded to the hilt. I don't want to disclose much more. We can do that on another um, podcast. But uh, (laughs) you have to make sure that you know, like with the Coco SDC, this you know that with this current sound chip. You have to make sure that certain integration takes place before you release something. You can do add-ons and stuff like that, but certain things have to be in place. Otherwise, you can't do it later. You know, and everyone's aware of the Coco SDC sound chip debate that was had. <laughs> right. So you, right. you got to kind of watch it. I mean, this is a significant piece of hardware, and you just can't sit and say, well, I'll change it in two years and we'll update it and you can just expect everyone to spend the money and, and upgrade it. So it's, it's it's a teetering point. It's hard for me to release something that isn't perfect. That's the engineer side of you. But you also have to release something at some point because if you do the engineer stuff, it'll never be done. You know, so it, it, it has <laughs> to get... Uh, 
Rick Adams says at some point you have to shoot the engineer. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> well, I hope it's not me, but I can truly, um, you know, understand that and you see it, you know, but there's no shortages of horse horsepower, you know, in this current design. I mean, I'm running an X Mega. I'll have 512 K of S RAM, 32 Mega DRAM just on board with the EBI. That's running. We got six channels of DMA, which I really, really want to put to work with features that I'll just say DMA. I hope I can do it. It's time will tell. You know, at Cloud9, our focus has always been to add technology to a computer that was that didn't have it when it was conceived. We've always been about providing a complete turnkey solution and original design. Um, I'm on Facebook and Kogolis, as everyone well knows. You know, I hear what everyone's asking for. You know, I, I may not speak up. I don't participate a lot into the social media um, just because free time for me is very, very hard to come by. I do work. We have a couple of rentals, two small farms, one in which, you know, the one farm we live on just due west of downtown Minneapolis, uh, a small town of Delano. The other one is we call our cabin, southeast Minnesota, which is just west of our of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and um, north of Lanesboro, Minnesota. This is my escape from modern technology. It's it's very, very peaceful down there, but yet it still has all the aspects. We call it a cabin. It's really a house, but it, it allows me my time away from technology to kind of vent a little bit, sit on a tractor, plant crops, etc. At those two places, I mow probably five acres of yard every week. And it's over 300 miles round trip to the cabin and back. I'm not saying this stuff to brag, but to emphasize that it does take time away um, during the summer, spring, and fall for me. Wintertime is exclusively cocoa. No ifs, ands, or buts. I look for it every year. Look forward to it every year. And actually living in Minnesota, I mean, it's damn near half the year. So <laughs> That's good for us. <laughs> You know, so I am an avid bow hunter as well. Gives me a great amount of time to sit in the tree and think about cocoa projects. This past fall, I'm sitting in the tree, in a tree stand, watching all these deer run by, walk by, whatever. I was thinking to myself, you know, I have a whole pile of cocos that have no keyboards. So I started to look into the possibility of providing a solution uh, for that, I mean, it was the issues with the Mylar. Um, I wanted to have something more uh, than the Mylar. I wanted something that had, you know, a retro click to it, some positive feedback from when you actually typed on it. I wanted to be able to service it. Mylar, we all know if it breaks, it's we're, we're able to repair it, or sometimes we're able to repair it, but literally the writing's on the wall. How long that might last, another flex could take it out. I also have a, another home business where I do game camera repair. It's the hunting aspect side of what I do. Um, and they had tactile switches in these small cameras that periodically needed replacing. And I said, hey, you know what? I wonder if those things would actually fit in a Coco keyboard. And literally, these things are so small that they fit inside the spring of the Coco's plunger. So I sat down. I started to using, you know, to engineer this and using the CNC machine and the DRO, which is the digital readouts, 
that indicate the XYZ movements of the platform and mapping each key location. I went with the first design. I wasn't happy with it. It was a little too rigid and a full keystroke was required. I didn't care for it, so it didn't work. And I'm like, how could I miss a keyboard? I mean, my God, how complicated can a keyboard be? And it was turning out to be, it was electrically, the keyboard is, is as basic as you can get. But mechanically, this is probably one of the most challenging designs I've ever done. I had to do assembly fixtures to hold these little tiny switches in place so that, that they were in the exact right locations. I was successful with that. I mean, you guys have seen some of the videos that I've produced. The proof of concept design came to life. I worked with a vendor overseas to create a flat flexible cable that would go from the keyboard to the Coco's motherboard. That turned out perfectly. I mean, the first time I received, I don't know, 100 of them or whatever, or the pre-production run, and, and in my opinion, they're wonderful. Spent a lot of time on this, and currently Cloud9 is proud to announce another product, and we're going to call that the CoolTouch 2 and the CoolTouch 3, which is a keyboard replacement for the Color Computer 2, model 26, 31, 34, and the 31, 36 models, and then the CoolTouch 3, which is a replacement keyboard kit for the 26, 34, 34. I've currently have sent you all a prototype and I want to make sure that I hit my design requirements for the product so I just want to turn the mic over to you guys you all have one what do you think of this product yeah it's very cool it's a, a nice feel I think even the guys that like the uh, the IBM uh, click and clack keyboards I think they'll like them it's nice to have uh, another uh, uh, an option for the keyboards on the Cocos. It's an amazing amount of uh, effort. I think we got the short version here on the amount of uh, engineering skill and resources you poured into getting this thing right. I'm very impressed. And like you say, at first glance, it's like it seems simple enough. Keys on the, and you know you can do that, right? You can make a flat keyboard that would be awkward to use, but it'll work. <laughs> um, but then you take another step and start to look at it and say, hmm, maybe this stuff's a little harder than you imagine. And uh, I'm not even sure where I'd get past the recognition on the second step, but she carried it on through. Uh, it's very impressive. Yeah, so much precision uh, needed to, to pull this off. Just to clarify for listeners, it's kind of an upgrade kit because you still use the, uh, the keycaps and the springs and the case of your Coco keyboard. You're just basically getting rid of the back plate and the mylar. And uh, you install the uh, the Cool Touch 3 into your your Coco keyboard, and then you you put it all back together. And it's amazing because it fits in the same uh, profile and has you know it's a full mechanical keyboard. It's just a joy to use. It's fantastic. Thank you. I'm actually a fan of the IBM Model M clickety clackety keyboard, as John was saying. Um, I use one on my daily driver PC, I guess you can call it. I I love this keyboard that uh, Mark's created. And I actually like it. I prefer it over the original Coco 3 keyboard. It just has such a nice feel to it. Yeah, same here. And I'm the same way with you, Neil. I use a uh, Cherry MX Red keyboard, so uh, <laughs> it's it's very comparable. Nice. Great, thanks. Mark is my buddy. I support him in everything he does. I'm like you guys, Neil, Mike. I love that clickety-clack feel. 
And I wasn't expecting this. When Mark told me about this project, I just wasn't thinking about there being an actual tactile feedback on the keyboard. It works great. It's easy to install. And what I really like about this, and I think this is very much a, a characteristic of Cloud9, this is a product that everybody has been talking about but nobody could solve, at least not economically, right? How many times have you heard about Mylar projects getting started? I even looked into it a couple of years ago and the price was just crazy. Uh, so solving this by creating a printed circuit board with switches and a removable extender that plugs into the Coco's keyboard connector uh, really makes this a very unique and cool product, very well put together, uh, works well. And what's cool about it is it replaces the very part of the keyboard that wears out. It's not the keys themselves. It's not the spring. It's not the plastic case. It's that damn mylar that we've been fighting with. This this is uh, this nut has been cracked, and I, I, I tip my hat off to Mark on it uh, for taking something that nobody else had solved and frankly, it was somewhat abandoned and making a great product that solves it, solves this problem splendidly. One more of the 6,809 reasons to go to Cocoa Fest, so you can actually see one. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll agree with that. And uh, Boise, you're still my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and thank you very much. Now we, we've uh, set the agenda for all the other Cocoa hardware projects for the next year, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> How many def- keyboard recreations can we get? As, as Steve Jobs said, Redmond starts your photocopiers. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, and you start looking at, you know, in Boise, you did all this with the Mylars, you know, and all the different variants, you know, yeah. of of them, oh. you know, the melted, you know, et cetera. I haven't actually went down and seen what the CAD differences are, but I can mm-hmm. say that I do have the Coco 2. You guys have the Coco, uh, Cool Touch 3. Um, right. I, don't, I don't have a keyboard yet for the Cool Touch 2, but I do have all the CAD information, all the holes are in the right spot, etc. It's just a matter of placement. And the reason why, you know, I wanted this sent out to you is, you know, I can have an impression all I want. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on how this keyboard performed. I did a lot of work. Um, there's no, you, if you go to like the high-end keyboards, you can look and see what the actuations are, actuation points are, the actual amount of pressure it takes to push the key down. You go to the Tandy manual and the ones that I have, it's not in there. I actually wrote software, used my CNC uh, machine to actually measure um, the actuation points so that I have it repeatable. I would actually measure the pressure and I'm you know proud to say that I've hit the actuation point within ten thousandths of an inch of the OEM and the key pressure is just 50 grams more than the original. You know that is a slight noticeable difference but I think it's like all keyboards. It's a personal touch. It takes a little time and training um, for you to get used to it but I'm like you guys, and again, if I have a really, really biased opinion, um, I love it. Cool name, by the way. Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> hey, yeah, nice plug there, Boise, and kudos <laughs> to Boise because we always go back and forth on names, you know. And I can design stuff left and right. I'm terrible at giving names to things. Boise came up with this name, 
Um, I think it's great. It's it's definitely cool. Another cool product for your uh, color computer. You know, I'm working on other things um, too. I'm not ready to divulge that stuff. I really hope in the next couple of weeks things will turn around. But for instance, I was supposed to get a package last Thursday. Snowstorm in China uh, delayed the express shipment of it, and then it gets to here. And again, in in Louisville, it gets stuck and gets pushed into Monday, so it's just like it's so critical for that stuff to get to me on Thursday. You know, I lost the whole weekend here, but uh, hopefully um, I'll have more things to show off, and I'll definitely have more things to talk about um, at the Cocoa Fest. To me, um, you guys say Cocoa Fest is, you know, the new year. It's just around the corner, and it's, it's bittersweet for me, and it's my time where I have to shift gears and things start to grow here. I need to get out in the field. I need to cut grass. I need to do certain things. It's a sign to me that I need to switch gears because Sandy has had just about as much as she can take of the cocoa. She, she, she literally can't stand as much time as I spend um, in this, but I told her it's never going to change. I mean, we we have arguments about this or discussions, if you want to call it that. Nothing really heated, but um, I'm too old. I'm never going to change. I think development of the cocoa currently right now is a blast. I have a lot of fun doing it. it it's consuming. You, you do it, you get tired, but you don't get tired of it. It's always rejuvenating to me. I can't really get enough of it. It's fun. I have some incredible hardware coming. It's it's just it's it's mind-boggling to me even. I mean, the best time to have a cocoa is now. And I just want to thank you guys especially for giving me the time here. Hopefully I didn't wreck your show because you got an outstanding <laughs> out, outstanding performance level, something I have to raise my bar to, you know, to be on this show and you know, I want to thank you guys, my past and present customers that really continue to support, you know, these efforts. Um, these things are expensive to produce, to get right. Yeah, I, I can't support your vendors. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like without you guys, we wouldn't be here. You know, I, I wouldn't be here. I probably would be, but I wouldn't be selling products. You know, I'd be making stuff still, but I wouldn't be making them available. So uh, there's a lot to be said about that. So... Uh, as we've yeah. been hearing more often, there's never been a better time to own a cocoa, and and that's couldn't be more true. Well, very cool, uh, Mark. I appreciate you sitting with us for an interview. I think we've had a cool product announcement here at the end, and uh, some good uh, Cocoa Fest history uh, along the way. Thanks, Mark, again. Appreciate you being on the show. We're gonna take another break here, and uh, we'll be back with uh, the rest of our features for this show. Is your Color Computer 3 keyboard showing its age? Do you have to press keys more than once or harder than usual? Maybe you have keys that don't work at all. What if you could breathe new life into that keyboard? Now you can. Introducing the CoolTouch 3 from Cloud9. The CoolTouch 3 isn't a keyboard replacement, but a complete upgrade kit. Simply remove the metal backplate from your Coco 3's keyboard. 
remove the flexible Mylar circuit board, and install the Cool Touch 3. You keep your Coco's original keycaps, keyboard case, and springs. The Cool Touch 3 is a precision manufactured, fully mechanical key switch matrix, providing you a superior typing experience. And with an introductory price of just $85, doesn't the most used part of your Coco deserve an upgrade? The Cool Touch 3 from Cloud9. And coming soon, the Cool Touch 2 for Coco 2s. Visit Cloud9's website at cloud9tech.com. Cloud9, cool stuff for your color computer. All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. It's time now for the tech segment for episode 35. Brought to you, as usual, by your lovely and talented host, John. <laughs> All right, the tech segment this month is going to talk a bit about kind of a little known, or at least little used peripheral for the Catandy color computer from back in the day. I thought it was a good one to bring up this time because CocoFest is coming and quite often you see one of these pop up at CocoFest, uh, quite often stuffed full of all the various off-the-shelf programs that Tandy used to provide for them, and even with the overlays and such. Uh, and quite often the reaction is, what in the world is this? <laughs> So, um, so the item I'm, I'm going to talk about is called the electronic book. What is this? All right. So, if you've never seen one, uh, the electronic book is a um, well, it's a loose leaf notebook. It's kind of made out of vinyl, and inside there's a full size vinyl page with numbers on it from one to twelve imprinted on the vinyl. Uh, and the other interesting part about the book is that it has uh, a wire coming out of it, <laughs> a wire with a connector on the end of it that plugs into a joystick port on the Coco. All the programs that use it, I think, default to the right joystick port. I don't think it actually matters uh, as long as you, you know, query the correct port in your program. But what does this mean? You know, how does how do you coordinate a a joystick input to a book? So there's wires impressed into the vinyl notebook case or, or whatever that um, create a, um, a signal that basically looks like a, um, uh, a collection of resistors or whatever some sort of resistor network and so depending on which number you press uh, you'll create a value that gets fed back to the cocoa uh, on a certain axis and they've done it in a way that I don't think is particularly um, <laughs> obvious or whatever to do but you, you create a table and, and and depending on which value you read on which a joystick axis meaning x or y then um, you, you should get a certain value that corresponds to a certain number I think if you were to press two numbers at the same time you probably get something weird I don't really have one here to try at the moment but I'm not sure that you'd easily be able to detect that. Um, if somebody has an electronic book and is listening, maybe you can write a program and, and uh, give us an idea of what happens when you press two numbers at the same time. Uh, if if the two numbers are in the two separate halves, so one, one, half, one number tickles the x-axis and one number tickles the y-axis, you could probably tell that pretty easily. But if you had to, you know, if you were like, in, basically numbers one through six affect the x-axis, 
numbers uh, 7 through 12 affect the y-axis. And so if you were to press like 2 and 5 together, I'm not sure what you'd really get. Um, but so it turns out, though, that they've basically broken it down, you know, every 8 or 10 values or whatever corresponds to um, one of the numbers in that grouping. And, uh, you know, if you if you want to write a program that uses this, you might work out your own table. That's probably the best thing to do. But uh, there is a table printed in the November 1985 version of the Rainbow on page 20, an article by Steve Blinn, um, working with the electronic book part one. <laughs> His number, he gives precise numbers for what will be read back, although he does indicate in, the, in one of his programs um, for that, for the pressing the number three, he would sometimes get a forty-one and sometimes get a forty-two on his joystick reading. So, I don't know. I suspect it, there's probably a little bit of variability. So, if you're going to write a good program to use this, you might want to put in ranges for some of these. Would be my guess. But, um, but anyway, that's pretty much how you use the book. <laughs> you plug it in, and so I think what they had was actually overlays that would overlay the page with uh, some sort of graphic that would probably represent the numbers uh, in some style that corresponds with whatever game you're playing. Um, and given that, if you could produce your own overlay, maybe you could actually reassign the the input numbers to be more associated with a, some sort of icon or whatever that goes with the whatever program you're trying to run. If you're going to write your own program that uses the book, you know, it's obviously it's intended for kind of simple programs, like for, uh, what do they say, pedagogical <laughs> uses. That's a, one of those teacher words that people uh, sometimes run across. But for, like, educational programs, you know, uh, what is 3 plus 5, and you hit 8, you know, that sort of thing. But maybe you could use them for a puzzle program or something like that, where you assign different shapes or something to the various numbers. So, I already mentioned uh, the um, November of 85 issue of the Rainbow. That was the Working with the Electronic Book Part 1. In the December of 85, they had an article Working with the Electronic Book Part 2, shockingly by the same Steve Blinn <laughs> author. And in this article, it points out um, that um, he said they were starting in the company that he was working for, they were starting to use the Tandy 1000 as well. As um, we've indicated or, and elsewhere, noticed or whatever, the uh, Tandy 1000, though at least the older ones, use the same joystick ports that are used on the Coco. So they point out that you can use this electronic book with the Tandy 1000 if you so choose. In the in the earlier article from from uh, November of '85, they put in a channel, challenge to Tandy 1000 users to see what sort of value map so you get for using the uh, joystick values with the, <laughs> the Tandy 1000. So here in the December uh, 85 article, working with the electronic book part 2, they they uh, have offered their own table to, to if you're using Tandy 1000, uh, using the stick routine uh, for the Tandy 1000 basic, I guess. What sort of values correspond to the numbers on the on the electronic book? If you've ever wanted to write the kind of program that's amenable to uh, a page with uh, somebody touching a, a number <laughs> or a box or whatever, then the electronic book may be for you. 
At the very least, if you see one at Cocoa Fest, don't say, what is that? Say, oh, that's the thing John was talking about. <laughs> That'll make my day. So, again, that's a, a little bit of an unknown thing. Uh, not totally unknown, but a, kind of a weird thing from the past. Uh, like I said, it looks like a, um, a loose-leaf binder. In fact, it is a loose-leaf binder. Some vinyl cover. Got some... A graphic on it. I think it shows a person's hand with an index finger pointing out and a, some kind of graph or something. But you use the overlays. You have to have the software that uh, corresponds to the graphics, of course. <laughs> but um, anyway, it really does just sort of look like a special joystick. A joystick that um, where the values you read are, are uh, correspond to um, specific numbers pressed on the vinyl imprint in the book. So, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so, I hope you enjoyed this uh, somewhat shorter than usual tech segment um, about a relatively obscure item for the color computer. Maybe you can uh, produce a program that uses it, or, you know, maybe you can do one on the Tandy 1000, whichever you like. <laughs> but, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this, and as I like to say, um, Retro forever. You're coming in loud and clear. Must be a realistic CB radio. 10 4, good buddy. It's my new 40 channel realistic. Radio Shack's got it on sale right now for only $79. I saved 60 bucks. That realistic sure is a good brand. 10 4 on that. You can depend on realistic. Where's your head now? Back to Radio Shack. The new 4K TRS 80 color computer is on sale for just 349 bucks. 10 4, good buddy. Color graphics, sound, joysticks. Talk to you later. Whoa, where are you going? Radio Shack, of course. The realistic 40-channel CB radio and TRS-80 color computer on sale now. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Hi, this is Boise Pete. Welcome to the third episode of the OS9 Corner. In the last episode, I discussed the OS9 kernel and its organization. I also briefly mentioned the IOMAN module, which is responsible for handling all aspects of input and output on the system. In this episode, I'll examine this interesting module in more detail. You will become familiar with the family of modules that IOMAN utilizes and understand just exactly how important IOMAN and its friends are to the OS9 operating system. Recall that in the last episode, I discussed the concept of the system call. System calls are like function calls into OS9 to perform tasks like allocating and freeing memory or creating and managing processes. OS9 provides these system calls as services to applications. But what about input and output? System calls to open, read, write, and close files and devices must exist somewhere. Those system calls reside in IOMAN and are known as i$SystemCalls. That's because each system call's name is prefaced with the letter i and a dollar sign. For example, to open a file or device, there is a system call named i$Open. Likewise, the i$Close system call is called to close a file or device. Non-IO system calls are prefaced with f$. For example, f$Fork creates or forks a new process. As the provider of all I.O. system calls, 
IOMAN defines the world in which input and output takes place. IOMAN uses the principle of unified I.O. This simply means that no matter what the application wants to perform I.O. to, a serial port, a file on disk or tape device, or a network socket, all of these are considered accessible by a path. All input and output takes place on this path. Conceptually, a path is a gateway to a file or device. You read data from and write data to a file or device via the path. An application requests a path through the i$open call and then performs i$read and i$write operations on that path until it is finished. It then calls i$close to release the path. From an application's point of view, a path is represented by an integer between 0 and 31, and each application gets its own set of paths. Internally, IOMAN keeps track of a path via a 64-byte data structure known as a path descriptor. The path number maps to the path descriptor, but as I indicated earlier, applications only need to concern themselves with that single number when performing I.O. operations. While IOMAN defines the data structures and system calls for I.O., it leaves the details of the type of device to a different module, known as the File Manager. The file manager handles a specific device class. For example, devices which store and retrieve data in blocks, such as floppy drives, hard drives, and removable storage, require a different file manager than devices which store and retrieve data a byte at a time, such as a serial port, a modem port, or a terminal. For block devices, there is RBF, or Random Block File Manager. This file manager builds on the path descriptor provided by IOMAN by reserving a section of the data structure for block-specific housekeeping data. Building on the idea of blocks, or sectors, RBF defines the logical structure of a disk, including the arrangement and format of data on the device. For byte-wise devices, there is SCF, or Sequential Character File Manager. Like RBF, SCF defines variables in the IOMAN path descriptor for its own internal per-path storage. SCF concerns itself with the characteristics of a character-based device, such as line endings, backspace processing, handling transmission baud rates, and so forth. File managers like RBF and SCF define the class of device and their characteristics, but leave the implementation details of the actual hardware to the device driver. A device driver interfaces with the file manager to do the dirty work of getting data from and to a specific chipset. The driver is written for specific hardware and insulates those details from the file manager and the rest of the I.O. system. Drivers have well-defined entry points that are called into by the file manager for performing the I.O. services that the device allows. The device descriptor is yet another module. It does not contain code, but instead ties the file manager and device driver together. It's essentially a mapping module that also provides initialization data for the specific file manager and the environment that it will create. By convention, the module name of the device descriptor is two characters and represents the type of device and its ordinal position. For example, floppy disk drive 0 is known as D0 while drive 1 is known as D1. For terminal ports, T0 
and so forth are common names for device descriptors. The application references the device descriptor when it wants to perform I.O. on a device by opening a path. Since the device descriptor has references to its driver and file manager, IOMAN has all the information it needs to prepare the path and return the path number to the application so that it can perform reading and writing to that device. That's the OS9 I.O. subsystem in a nutshell and the end of the OS9 corner for this episode. Thanks for listening. AutoTerm turns your Coco into the world's smartest terminal. Scroll text forward and backward. Save, load, and delete files while online. Full support for the RS-232 pack, X modem, and even split screen for packet radio. Screen widths of 32, 40, 42, 51, or 64, plus 80 column support for the Coco 3. Switch instantly to word processing mode. Find strings instantly. Create text. Make corrections, save, or load files. Then upload them to a remote system. Fully compatible with Telewriter. Plus full automation tools to automate dialing, keystroke, macros, uploading, and downloading. AutoTerm runs on the Coco 2 and Coco 3. No other computer can match your Coco's intelligence as a terminal. AutoTerm from PXE Computing, Richardson, Texas. All right. <laughs> okay, this is John, and I have kind of a well, disappointing <laughs> message to deliver. Uh, so for um, uh, some time I've been talking about uh, delivering a updated version of Farfall uh, that takes advantage of the audio hardware on the game Master Cartridge. Well, um, so we've hit a little snag late in the process. Um, so I already have cards, cartridges built that I was intending to make available at Cocoa Fest. But I was doing some testing just for um, due diligence or whatever. And it turns out that uh, there's kind of a quality problem uh, where the, the game, um, there's a, it's a software problem that kind of causes some noise in some parts of the game that's sort of uh, unignorable, unmissable. Uh, and downright, well, really unpleasant. It's code that didn't really change from the original versions of Farfall, but something about uh, changing the hardware a little bit kind of exacerbated this noise. And, um, well, it's just not a product that I want to ship. It's just not good enough. Certainly not good enough to uh, to sully a Cocoa Fest with it. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so I'm declaring a stop shipment on Farfall Master Edition cartridges. I have some code. Um, I think I'm most of the way to a fix already, but it's uh, it's kind of too late to rework the hardware that I have. So I'm just not going to do it. Uh, not before Coco Fest. Um, when we get back from Coco Fest, I'll do some more thorough testing. Once I've convinced myself that there's no more issues, then I'll uh, set to rebuild some of the cartridges, maybe, well, presumably all the cartridges, maybe even a few more, because I suspect there'll be people who want them. <laughs> anyway, so, again, this is not a hardware problem with the GMC design. It works fine. There are other applications that work fine. Um, it's a problem, it's a software problem with Farfall. 
it's really in code that I didn't even change. Uh, it's just that you know, the noise that it made um, with the older, the way audio was done in the earlier versions just wasn't that big a deal. But uh, the conflict with the noise on uh, on the GMC, or the, the noise conflicting with the, the sounds on the GMC, uh, just was an unpleasant combination, or is. Um, so, again, I don't want to ship a crap product. I don't want you to pay money for a crap product. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it to me. Um, so, uh, anything you buy from me, I want you to be happy with, because it's essentially a labor of love. And I don't want to give you a a, a red-headed stepchild, is that the term? Well, whatever the term is, I want you to love it as much as I do. And while some of my testers still insist that it's a pretty fun game to play, <laughs> um, they're telling me their high scores and complimenting me on certain aspects of the of the changes. Um, still, the the noise uh, it's just it just doesn't meet my standards. So I'm going to stop shipment. Farfall Master Edition will not be available at Coco Fest 2018. That's Coco Fest number 27. Um, hopefully, it'll be available before Tandy Assembly. Uh, it should be available at Tandy Assembly as well, but um, you just have to stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be an announcement somewhere. Um, you can check the the the, uh, the mailing list, the Facebook site, the uh, Facebook page. Um, and of course, uh, this podcast and perhaps perhaps other Coco Media as it exists. <laughs> um, so anyway, again, uh, it's a bit of a heavy heart thing. I wanted everybody to have a chance to play the new Farfall, um, experience the Game Master. I think you will be able to experience the Game Master cartridge. I've got some other software that can run, um, but I'm not going to be selling game. Uh, I'm not going to be selling. Farfall Master Edition at Coco Fest. So that's it. Sorry, I hope you're not too disappointed, but I only want you to have a good product. Alright, end of line. You're listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. All right, welcome back, all you Coco Cruisers, to another edition of Neil's Corner. My spot at the end of the podcast, where I can air my thoughts on games, programs, or if there's something I forgot to mention during the main recording session. While speaking of that, I'd like to add a quick addendum to Cloud9, Mark Merlet's interview. One thing I wanted to mention and forgot to was how professional Cloud9 is. Going back to 2005, when I first started getting back into the Coco, I discovered Cloud9's website, and probably like most of you, I placed an order with Mark. At this point, I had no idea who Mark was and never got to meet him yet. When the items came in that I ordered, I was immediately blown away. From the quality of the actual products and the proper documentation that came with each product. I purchased things from huge companies that don't provide proper docs and support, anything close to what Cloud9 does. Oh, and speaking of support, that's the other impressive thing about Cloud9. If you have any issues or questions, Mark is extremely fast at getting back to you with a solution. Getting back into the cocoa scene, I was not expecting this level of service, especially because this is mainly a hobby for everyone and definitely not a day job. So I'd like to say a big thank you to Cloud9 for all your hard work and dedication to the cocoa community. Alright, on to my monthly game review. This month I'm going to talk about a game called Flooded. I figured I might as well mention this game for two reasons. Number one, 
I'm making a run of these cartridges up, and I'll have them available at CocoFest and possibly mail order if there's any left. And number two, I just discovered how to play this game. Although this game was released over a year ago, I never really gave it a serious play until now. It is super addictive, I couldn't stop playing it. The game Flooded is coded by Evan Wright back in 2016, I believe. I originally got to meet Evan for the first time at a VCF Midwest show, and he's a super nice guy. If you want to meet him, he's usually at VCF Midwest, Coco Fest, and even Tandy Assembly. Flooded is a puzzle game for your Coco 1, 2, or 3. That's right, it'll play on any Coco you own or wish to use. The object is very simple. You need to paint the whole game board in one color using a total of 30 moves or less. When the game starts out, you are presented with a board of squares all filled with different colors. To try and change all the squares to the same color on the board, you always work with the top left square and fill your bucket with the color you choose by pressing the appropriate key on your keyboard to select a color of your choice. Example, B for blue, R for red, and so on. It's that easy. It sounds very simple, but it's so addictive and will have you playing for hours. I've always said sometimes the most simplest games are the most entertaining. Thanks for making such a fun game, Evan, and I hope to see you again at Coco Fest this year. And on that note, same goes to all of you listening. I hope to see all of you at Coco Fest this year. Well, until next month, happy Coco Gaming. After these messages, we'll be right back. Speed Racer from Mistron. Speed Racer is a supercar race game that puts you behind the wheel with incredible score and 3D graphics. It's simply the finest car race game ever written for the Coco. Just $34.95, Discord take, 32K required. From Mistron. Well, we've reached the end of episode 35. This makes a complete three-year mark. Woohoo! I hope all of you are listening to this episode as you are cruising your way to Coco Fest. We'll be looking forward to meeting any new faces and, of course, all you regulars. I'd like to give a big thanks to John Linville, Mike Rowan, and Boise Pete. It really takes a lot of hard work and dedication to keep this podcast going, which is why we appreciate all of you listening and supporting us each month. We also like to hear any feedback from you as well. I can't forget to give a huge thank you to Mark Merlette for lending us some of your time to record an interview and having you sit in during the recording. It was so awesome to finally get you on this podcast. Well, it's about that time I make my way out of here and head to Coco Fest. We hope to see all of you there, and until next month, or I should say year, because it'll be the start of our new Coco year, happy cocoing and Coco forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. And